listening to The Regular Show with your host, Greg Boyer. What's up, guys? This is episode 54 of The Gregular Show, and I have a uh, guest returning that I we haven't seen in a few weeks. Uh, his name is Jeremy Young. You may remember him from the video game episode. And, Hello. Uh, what's up, Jeremy? How you been? Not bad. That's good. Um, <laughs> so we are doing the long-awaited Twilight Zone episode, our top... Uh, ten favorite uh, Twilight Zone episodes with five honorable mentions. And, uh, you know, Jeremy, do you want to just speak to um, how the Twilight Zone, like, influenced your life? I mean, I I never watched it until I was probably mid-twenties, I think. And then I watched... No, no, it was early 20s. And then I watched... I think the first episode I saw <clears throat> was The Howling Man. And I was like, this show is pretty cool. Um, I'm, I'm a fan of some other old TV shows. Like, I've watched a lot of um, original Doctor Who. And, um, yeah... But it is, it is fantastic. I watched, um, I kind of binge-watched all of it at once, and, uh, that was, that was some years ago, and then I rewatched most of it a while ago when they had it on sci-fi, because they do that, like, New Year's marathon. Oh, yeah. So. And Fourth of July and Arbor Day and yeah Mother's Day every fucking holiday. <clears throat> it's the Twilight Zone. Um, I'm okay with that. But yeah, uh, excellent. I remember um, the first episode of the Twilight Zone I ended up watching was actually Eye of the Beholder. Oh, the the very uh, popular episode Eye of the Beholder, mm-hmm. and. I think that both the episodes that we mentioned will make it on our lists at um, some point. One of our lists. Yeah. Um, now, I'm definitely going to be saying some spoilers. I hope that the uh, Greg heads are um, understanding because uh, what the hell is the Twilight Zone without the fucking weird-ass twist endings? Right. You know what I mean? Also, it's a... Almost... What, 60-year-old show? Yeah, it's a 60-year-old show. I mean, if you missed... There's the a bit of leeway there, I feel like. Right. Um, and it's just... It's been one of those shows that stood the test of time. Uh, it started out in 1959. Rod Serling, the great Rod Serling, uh, came up with this show. And, uh, you know, he was, he was just this random dude that he would show up in every episode and he'd be like... Here we are in the Twilight Zone. This stupid motherfucker is about to learn a lesson that he didn't see coming. Or she. <laughs> and he was always right. Um, <laughs> it was as if the narrator knew exactly what was going to happen every time. I don't know how. I don't know why. It's crazy. Uh, yeah, that's why it's the Twilight Zone. You know, 
Um, not to be confused with Twilight. Uh, we're not talking yeah, about sparkling vampires today. But, um, you know, this is one of those shows that growing up as a kid, uh, I don't like scary shit. I'm not going to lie. I'm a bitch. But there was something about, I'm like, you know what? It's old. It's in black and white, which means it's not scary. So for some whatever logic that shit is. And like, because, you know, I was a stupid kid. I mean, I am a fan of horror. Uh, certain kinds, I'm like very particular about it. But I very rarely thought it was like a creepy show. And I feel like it's weird episodes that I, I find like the most unsettling. Um, like, I remember I found... Um, um, five characters looking for an escape to be... Oh, five characters in search of an exit. Yes. Um, I found to be an incredibly creepy episode the first time I saw it. Um, I don't know why. Or not creepy, more un- unsettling, I think is probably the perfect word. But um, I think it's just because a lot of them you can guess the ending because there's been so many riffs on, on stuff. Oh, but yeah. that one I had no clue and I was just like racking my brain trying to figure that one out. It was like, what in the ever-loving hell is going on here? Oh, yeah. Uh, and I think we'll, we'll talk about that one a little bit. Um, that's a classic. Um, now, you haven't seen the movie. You haven't seen the Twilight Zone film. I have not. Um... Oh, and just, just so everybody knows, this is focusing on the classic original Twilight Zone run uh, from 1959 till 1964. Uh, we won't be talking about the um, 1980s Twilight Zone or the early 2000s Twilight Zone or the 2019 Twilight Zone reboot. Uh, this is the original, what, 156 episode run? 200 something? Uh, something like that. 156 sounds right. Yeah. Like 69 yes, episodes. Because I was going to guess 163 the other day and I was off by 7. Oh, and I was up, yeah, because I said 150. That's right. Um, you were one closer. Yeah. It, it, yeah. But um, the Twilight Zone movie came out in like 82 or 83 and it's, it's scary. That shit is scary. Uh, and it has its funny moments. But. Um, if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend the film. Uh, There's so many great actors in it, and uh, it's it's fun. It's a fun way to kill 80 minutes. So, um, if you guys haven't seen the Twilight Zone movie, go check it out. I highly recommend it. I probably um, will sometime this week. Yeah, I, I don't know where you can find it. Uh, it's not on Hulu, but uh, yeah. I don't know. But anyways, um, every episode, you know, can't be the best episode ever. Uh, some, some of them have to be shit. Yeah. It's just the way it goes. Uh, Jeremy, do you have any dishonorable mentions? Oh. Any episodes that you watched that you're like, fuck this. I, I'm going to be honest. There's multiple episodes that take place like 
during the Civil War for some friggin' reason, and I just don't care. Like, I've watched them all once, and I don't even remember them, because I just remember passionately not caring. I'm like, there's no robots in this. Why the hell should I care? I like um, that. I feel like I've probably not not missed but forgotten some decent episodes or just like you know had them on in the background and not paid attention because i'm like oh another damned civil war one and then just and i'm sure i'm i i've not caught a decent one that way but uh yeah i still can't force myself to care excellent um which is weird because i like history right but in terms of storytelling, the Civil War and the Twilight Zone are kind of two different entities. And yeah. The combination of the two are kind of odd. I gotcha. <clears throat> uh, I know there's that one episode, the uh, occurrence at Owl Creek, Owl Creek Bridge, where the guy gets hung. Oh, yes. Yeah, that was, like, traumatic for people. <laughs> the guy legit gets hung. Uh, like, and they show it. I mean, they, you know, some special... <laughs> Like it's a mannequin or something. I don't know. I don't know. It's it's the fifties, man. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's... yeah, that's true. I wasn't there, so I don't. Maybe the guy actually got hung, but um, that was a weird one. And then, uh, yeah. So for me, um, my least favorite episode of the Twilight Zone is actually one that you mentioned already. It's it's gonna be one of my favorites, isn't it? It's five characters in search of an exit from season okay. three. So, I uh, talked about it for a second, and let me just find. And we the, uh... did, we did rewatch that one the other day, and I forgot it. I do like that one more. Um. Now that I've watched it again, it is a good one. Um, like the the clown I initially found incredibly irritating, like the first time. Yeah. And I forgot that I kind of thought he was likable later on in the episode like his annoying kind of verbosity grows on you throughout the episode maybe for you um i to me and uh the ending was something it was funny uh and i'm I'm gonna spoil it obviously the greg heads want to hear the spoilers uh Part of me feels like when when the Greg kids are listening, they're like, "Oh, this is great!" So I don't have to watch the episode now. But <laughs> but I do recommend um, if people haven't seen the show uh, to check it out because it's it's a great great show. But, um, but yeah, this episode, you know, you got this uh, army major guy. He wakes up in this fucking big ass jar or some shit. It's like a big cylinder, uh, and like it's just a wall. It's just walls all around. And also inside this uh, thing, there's a hobo, or um, they refer to him as a tramp. <laughs> um, a homeless person. I don't know what the, the appropriate term for that is. Um, and then there's a ballet dancer. Uh, some guy playing the fucking bagpipes. Terribly. Like, Terrib- I know the bagpipes aren't, well, you know, subjectively, but aren't a great sound, but... He really sucked. Holy shit. Or maybe yeah. he wasn't playing my thing, but uh, I I would have killed myself if I was in that bucket with him. Oh, God. Or him. Either way. Six of one. Right. And and it was funny. Uh, and then the clown, of course, who 
wouldn't shut the fuck up. This guy just kept, like, he kept talking the whole episode. Yeah. And he's like, we don't know how we got here, but here we are. And, uh, so basically throughout the episode, you know, the army man's the only guy who's really trying to, like, get the fuck out. Everybody else is kind of just like, ah, you know, here we are. We're stuck. (laughs) This is how it be. Yeah, this is just the way it goes. And, uh, and this army man's like, fuck that. No, we're getting out. We're getting the fuck out of here. And I don't care if we have to crawl on each other's shoulders and jump out the fucking whatever this is. So they try a couple times. The ballet dancer, she's like, ah, I pulled a leg or whatever. So so then they don't do it with her. And then he uh, repels himself, this is the spoiler, over the wall. That He finally makes the break for it after 20 fucking minutes of them in one location talking for 20 minutes. Yeah. I don't know. I'm I'm an asshole, but I really didn't care for this episode. And and the very ending, you just see a toy on the ground, <laughs> and this little girl's like, "Oh, I found a toy on the ground!" And uh, the lady's like, "Oh, put it back in." It was for the Salvation Army or something. Yeah, for like a doll toy drive for Christmas. Right. Um, Toys and, for tots, or which I mean, like who a hobo toy? Like what the hell? <laughs> um, Who the hell owns a hobo action figure? And uh, now with the power of sadness, <laughs> right? The whole episode—I said it before when we were watching it the other day—it's it's like Toy Story plus more existential dread, um, which is a very—it's an interesting combo, um, right? <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Uh, and, you know, I've seen it a few times, and I just... It's one of those things that it's it's entirely uh, about, like, the just these five characters. So if you don't find the, the characters likable, then the whole episode's just terrible because so little of it... You have the little twist at the end, but it's really, like, those five characters that it's about. Right, I, I just, you know, I, I don't know. At, at a certain point, after the 15th minute, I'm like, just get out, get out of the fucking jar. I was dying. I was like, can this please end? Because I just, I have to know, like, I wanted to fast forward it or something because I could just, like, they really just squeezed every little bit of anticipation out of that episode they possibly could have for me. Which I, I think is part of why I liked it. Like, I wish I could watch it for the first time again. Just to have that, like, baffled kind of anticipation. But you also right. it was the worst feeling at the time. Sure. For, for me, the anticipation was, when is this episode going to end? But, uh, <laughs> but yeah. Um... You know, but I feel like I feel like we're we're getting past that negativity point. And now we're gonna go into the positivity. Uh, and Jeremy, I want you to just uh, give me your five uh, honorable mentions. All right. So I didn't I didn't um, no particular order, but uh, that's the order I wrote them down in. I guess so. Sure. Was um. Let's see. Hold on, I got notes here. Um, 
The Man in the Bottle from season two. Not to be confused with The Man in the Boat. <laughs> so, there were so many episodes. I, um, before we did this, I, I read synopsis of all the episodes just to make sure there weren't any I was forgetting and to help make the list. I, I also, um, like, I know the episodes, but I don't necessarily know the titles because right. that doesn't stick with me. And to look up the season and episode, which Man in the Bottle is season two, episode two. Right. And, like, sometimes the fucking titles have nothing to do with the episode. Yeah. And then a lot of them, I'd start reading the synopsis and be like, oh, that one. And then I'd read a little bit more and I'm like, wait, what the hell one is this? And I'd read a little bit more. Oh, that one. Because they're they're so similar until you get kind of, and then it's like, oh, right, it's this... Civil War one, like with the God astronauts. How many fucking astronauts? There's do so they many have? astronauts, but that's because astronauts are cool. Uh, well, and at the time, right, everybody was obsessed with space. Everybody wanted to suck Buzz Lightyear's dick, which I found fascinating when I was um, watching it. Like knowing how close they were to the moon landings, and there's um oh shoot, now I forgot. Oh, you that. believe in that? No, I'm, just, I'm kidding. <laughs> I am kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> Um, but there's an episode, is it the first episode, um, in season one, that's, um... Where is everybody? Yes. Yeah. And, um, that one was about, like, when we were going, would be going to the moon, and it was, like, the the training thing, and spoilers right but uh it was like the training thing and um we were so close to actually going to the moon like it was it's one of those impressive things like when i think of the original star trek and realize like technologically we're more advanced than star trek was now which is just kind of a cool thought to me so um Yes, but, The Man in the Bottle. Anyway, but yes, The Man in the Bottle. Um, this was my favorite. They, I, I feel like they did a couple episodes that had a kind of monkey's paw vibe to them of like um, wishes gone wrong. Right. This just happens to be my favorite because uh, I think it's hilarious that he turns himself into Hitler, um, which... Wow, I feel like with zero context, it's just like, what the what? fuck is this episode? Yeah. But, and then the the ending killed me because it's just like such a a petty curling of the monkey's paw where the he gets a bottle and um, there's a genie in it. And like the Christina Aguilera song. <laughs> yes, there is a genie in the bottle. Um, and they offer him, it offers him four wishes. So he, um, wishes to fix a cabinet and then he wishes for a bunch of money, but they give it out to people and have to pay taxes and then have like $5 left. And then, (laughs) um, he wishes that he, he's like, aha, I got it. And he wishes to be an all powerful, um, leader that couldn't be voted out of office, which to me always seemed 
weirdly specific, but... And he turns into Hitler, which, as is the case with Monkey's Paw things, damn, technically, you're right. Yep, you got me there. Um, so, obviously, he changes that wish. Um, he, he uses the last one to be like, nope. No, forget it. You just get rid of all of it. And he so he smashes the bottle, or he like throws he, it in the trash. He, yeah, he throws out the the he throws the bottle out in the trash, and then he's picking up the he's cleaning something up or something like that, and then he breaks the damn cabinet. So he got literally nothing out of it. Um, and I just I think it's the best done of the monkey's paw ones. Right, and say, be careful what you wish for. It might come true. Or it might come with a bunch of fucking Nazi effects. <laughs> which, which may be Nazi. Tem- temporary Nazism. Which I I think is probably... I would take temporary nausea over temporary Nazism. But you know. I, I hope everybody would. <laughs> right? <laughs> they um, don't, though. Um, things happen. What about uh, the next one? What's the next honorable mention? Um, so my next honorable mention was The Purple Testament, uh, Season 1, Episode 19. And that one is this guy, and he's in the military, and he starts seeing auras of, um, like, on people's faces, like a glowing aura on people's faces, um when they're going to die soon, and the big twist, okay, I, spoilers, um, is that at the end he sees it on his own face, and then he's like, oh, shit, and then they, they drive off into the jungle, and some guy's like, hey, watch out, they're not done sweeping that for landmines, and Surprise! And he's like, "Land what?" Hits a land- <laughs> exactly, hits a landmine and dies. And um, uh, I just thought it was was interesting. I mean, once again, well, I don't know. Not that it's not original, but um, there's I feel like similar, not necessarily specific concepts, but it's stuff with with a similar vibe now that I feel like looked at this episode and were like, this is something interesting. Like, stuff in, um, I'm sure there's something in, like, Beyond Belief, Factor Fiction with, um, um, Riker. Oh, uh, uh, yeah, uh, Jonathan Frakes. Yes. And, uh, which is also a fantastic show. If you're, now that I watched when I was, um, I don't know, or something and that did scare the shit out of me um I was also a carrot of a 10 year old which I mean I was 10 aren't we all um, so but anyway I just thought it was a very well done episode and I I liked the acting in it and I thought the the concept was was done really well um it sounds like something that like you would come up with as a kid for like a nightmare like He's got the purple spot. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> or it the does. cheese touch. <laughs> cheese if you're a fan touch. of uh, Diarrhea of a Wimpy Kid. Oh, is that like Midas? I never read that. No, it's like, 
uh, it's like, oh, he's got the t- cheese touch. He's don't. He's go away. Stay away from him. Oh, he's got the cheese touch. Don't love like touch him. Cooties. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, it's, it's not really a death sentence. It's a social death sentence. See, I wouldn't have minded because I I had no social life in elementary school. You'd be you'd be touching the cheese. Very yeah. All right. uh, how um, about the next one? What's what's the next one I will mention? Um, then the next one is interesting because it's one that I we watched this one the other night too. Um, it's one that I kind of forgot I liked. And then we rewatched, and I'm like, actually, I do um, quite like this one, which is The Hitchhiker, which is uh, yeah. season one, episode 16, which I didn't realize this is one of the ones I was talking about. I feel like a lot of the classic episodes aren't really necessarily my favorites, um, which is weird to me, but... You're more of a deep cut guy. I'm... Probably not as much as I, I would think, but um, I don't know. So the hitchhiker. This is uh, yep, the hitchhiker. Yeah. It's it's basically uh, the sixth sense, um, right. only with a woman driving cross country, um, as opposed to uh, Bruce Willis. So and it's fine because her name is Nan. And she's only supposed to be like 27. She's supposed to be my age. Yeah. Her name is Nan. And I'm like, what kind of fucking name is Nan? It sounds like a grandmother's name. Right? It's the kind of thing where you assume that the person, when birthed and given that name, their hair would be gray. Like, they'd come out with a cane or a walker and gray hair. Right. And, like, glasses and shit. They'd already be wrinkly, like... Like a baby. Yeah. It just... <laughs> <laughs> but the other way. <laughs> but and, and and this was fine because with this episode, you know, they keep showing the hitchhiker and he's just some dude. Yeah. Like he doesn't look scary. He's not. It's not like I see that guy and I'm like, oh fuck, I don't want to pick that guy up. Yeah, he seems. I mean, he doesn't seem threatening. Yeah, threatening at all. He just seems like. Honestly, it seems like the guy I probably could have seen like 57 times driving cross country and <laughs> forgot him every friggin' time. Right. Uh, and, you know, and I love it because she picks up some like sailor dude. And yeah. At first the dude's like, oh man, this chick's hot. Uh, and then very quickly he realizes, oh, she's crazy. Right? I thought that the twist was going to be that the, the hitchhiker saves her from like this sailor man attacking her and then he was like oh she's nuts I'm getting out of here and she's like wait I'll do anything and kind of starts hitting on him and I'm like wait is this the twist because I didn't see this one coming either and then he just pieces out and I'm like what the right did he even bang yeah, like you. That's that's definitely where it seemed like it was going, and they threw me twice with it. Yeah. Um, and then what's the ending? And and then the ending is she calls home because she's gone three quarters of the way across the country and not called home to be like, hey, there's this guy stalking me. Should I do something about that? Um, poor judgment. And finds out through the the woman that's at her mother's house who picks up the phone, that 
she died in a car accident, or well, a, a blown tire that she had at the beginning of the episode. Right. The, the He's car. Like, should have killed you. Yeah. And it turns out it did. Um, but it's Shyamalan. literally the sixth sense. Um, it's like the same exact idea. Or rather, the sixth sense is the same exact idea as this. Um, only I saw this episode without it being spoiled for me. Like I just spoiled it for you. Um, yeah. And the sixth sense was ruined for me. So I, I, I kind of got to enjoy the sixth sense by watching... I don't know if it was based on it consciously or subconsciously, but it is the same thing. So it was, I did kind of get to see The Sixth Sense for the first time through it, which is kind of a nice thing to happen that I've now deprived someone of. Sorry. Um, but it was, it, it's, it is definitely a good one. Excellent. And uh, how many more honorable mentions did you have? Um, two. Okay. It is... Um, third from the sun, which I always thought was interesting because, um... Third rock from the sun. Uh, well, I had seen this one after I had read, um, Superman Red Sun, which I thought was fantastic. Um, and for some weird reason, this episode kind of reminds me of it, um... So basically what happens is there's these people and it's um, looking like there's going to be a, a, a giant nuclear war, like imminently, which 50s Cold War. This was um, season shit. one, episode 14, so uh, 1959. So it's, you know, they're waiting for it. Duck and cover, hide under your desk. yeah. And they build a spaceship to escape the planet, blah, 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 shit goes down, they get on the spaceship, and you find out they've picked this tiny planet that they wouldn't expect would be like theirs and be full of life and stuff, 11 million miles away, it's the third planet from their star, and it's called Earth. Surprise, they're aliens, <laughs> and they're escaping here. You thought it was on Earth the whole time. Um, I'm not going to spoil Red Sun. That doesn't spoil... But oh, they, Superman was Russian the whole time. It, yes, it turns out. He, or, well, uh, Ukrainian. Oh, I but was He was a kidding. Soviet the whole time. Oh, I was joking. <laughs> okay, sorry. Sorry, Jeremy. No, no, that's not the, the spoiler. That's oh, how okay. it starts out. Oh, um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't fucking know. No, it it is a really good one. I do recommend that as well. On uh, just a side note, but um, then my last honorable mention is time enough to last or time enough at last. Ah, uh, yes, this uh, is the one that everybody knows the reference. Yep, season one, episode eight. Um, also as seen on Futurama and Family Guy and everything. Um, this is the great Just, Burgess Meredith. Yes. That, uh, everybody knows him as the Penguin from the old uh, 66 Batman. And I feel like... Do we even really have to talk about this episode? I mean, if you haven't okay. seen it, then you're probably not listening to this. Because 
I feel like it's impossible to watch any more than one episode and not see this one. Right. Um, it was, like, probably the third or fourth one I saw. Um, it's fantastically done. Burgess Meredith is... It's... The only thing about it, I... I, I like it uh, because it's just it's just so good. It's so well done and it's kind of funny, but it's also kind of sad. Very and sad. <laughs> he's just so likable and you just feel so damn bad for him. Because <laughs> I get the feeling just if y'all want to leave me alone for like just a minute and it just no luck <laughs> right no luck at all and so he finally you know the h-bomb goes off everybody's dead he can finally read all these fucking books without anybody cock blocking him and uh, what happens jeremy he breaks his damn glasses the fucking idiot drops his glasses and then, like, stomps <laughs> on him or some shit and that's it uh i mean I mean, I guess he'll die from radiation shortly after, right. which he'll probably welcome at that point, <laughs> just just because of his horrible luck. Maybe he can f- stumble into a library or something. That'd be nice. I always like to think that um, the the thing that caused his glasses to fall off was his Red Rider BB gun <laughs> that he was shooting. Um, but yeah. Yeah, let's go with it. That works. So that was that was the last honorable mention. Yep. Alrighty. Um, good stuff. Good stuff. I can't wait for the top ten. This is gonna be a fun list. Um, rounding out my list at number fifteen, uh, the old man in the cave. This is a season five episode. Um, similar to the man in the boat. No, I'm kidding. But uh, the old man in the cave. This was. Sorry, I, I'm just trying to... So you can... Okay, it's uh, episode 127, uh, season 5, episode 7. The Old Man in the Cave, it's set in uh, post-apocalyptic 1974, which sounds hilarious, you know, since we're in 2021, uh, talking about post-apocalyptic 1974. But, you know, uh, James Coburn was in this... Uh, you know, you might remember him from uh, all kinds of movies, Maverick, Magnificent Seven, um, The Nutty Professor. <laughs> but um, this is this is a show episode where, like, this town is filled with a bunch of people, and they all kind of, like, they eat very minimalistically. Um, they live very... Actually, they live surprisingly, like, decent for for like a post-apocalyptic world um and they I mean, get yeah one of the better ones i think right and they get all their shit from uh some old man in a cave at least that's what they refer to him as and then all of a sudden uh this guy in a military jeep shows up and him and his military buddies are like yo you guys want to listen to some old man in a cave that may or may not exist or do you want to fucking eat your canned food and get radiation and like fucking live it up because you know what who's to say that there's radiation in these cans that's just what the old man in the cave's telling you 
he could be full of shit. You know? So are you going to be controlled by some old man in a cave, or are you going to think for yourselves? And, you know, this is one of those, um, it's clearly an allegory for faith-based uh, religion and free thinking. But um, it's kind of... <laughs> It's kind of like, well, I guess you need to have blind faith and things will work out and don't think for yourself, which is very strange. That's a very strange lesson. A pro-authoritarian kind of. Because, spoiler alert, and and this is one of the funnier episodes to me, and maybe, I don't think it was supposed to be intentionally funny, but uh, the townspeople finally like, you know what, fuck it, Let's, let's just go wild, let's do all this shit, let's party like it's 1975, and, uh get drunk and eat canned food. So um, they finally go to the cave and they're like, let's see what the hell this thing was once for all. And the fucking old man in the cave, what do you, What was it, Jeremy? It's a computer. It's a computer, but not like the computer that we have at our house. It's <laughs> like this giant-ass fucking box with a bunch of buttons and circuits and beep-boop, beep-boop bullshit. You know, from the old time. Of a fallout computer that takes up a room. Right. And uh, what? how do these people this get is, rid of the computer? Uh, the, this is the episode of Futurama where um, the fembot is the stand-in for the computer and Bender bangs it. I thought that was all. Oh, but it was also parodying uh, 2001 Space Odyssey. I right? believe so. When they're on the spaceship. Oh, oh yeah, that's um. Or is that a different one? That's a different one. All uh, right. I'm I don't stupid. remember what else happens in that episode. Is that the one with the Amazonians? No, that's a completely different episode. Damn it! But um, I've watched this. I've I've watched Futurama through like seven times. You'd think I'd have it memorized by now. Uh, but anyways, so. <coughs> Uh, in order for the people to, like, fucking do things for themselves, they beat the shit out of this computer with baseball yep. bats, and they just attack it. They mob attack a computer. Like a Fallout computer. Right. And like, wow, that show, that sure showed the computer. So then it, uh, you know, fast forward a week later, they're all dead. <laughs> Radiation <laughs> poisoning. Strontium-13 or whatever the fuck. And, uh... And the one man who was like, yo, you guys shouldn't be doing this is the only one who's alive. But who knows for how long. It turns out he was right. Who would have thunk? Yeah, who would have thought? The man using reason. But, uh, I don't know. Anyways, uh, number 14, To Serve Man. To Serve Man, this is the one that everybody knows it. Um, He's the alien that kind of looks like the elephant man. Yeah. uh, Played by Richard Keel. Who everybody loves as Jaws in the James Bond films. He was also in Happy Gilmore. Oh, I wasn't sure if you were joking or not. That really was Jaws? 100%. No shit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, uh. Love that. This was season five, episode. Um. Did I say episode? Season five? Sorry. Yeah. My brain ain't working today. It's in season three. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah. I'm a I'm a dumb bastard. So it's season three, <laughs> episode eighty nine. Um and basically it starts out this guy's in a fucking uh chamber, uh 
No, his name is Michael Chambers. Sorry, he's in a room uh, with a cot, and he's basically on a spaceship. And there's this disembodied voice being like, yo, eat your shit, motherfucker. And this guy doesn't want to eat his shit. So, um, you know, he starts telling us, this is how it all started. Um, A few months earlier, planet Earth, these things called the cannabis, or as we call them, cannabis. Yes. uh, They're like nine feet tall, 350 pounds. And they just fucking randomly show up one day to Earth. And they're like, yo, man, we ended world hunger. We started world peace. We're genius. Um, We can hook all your shit up if you let us. And everyone's like, yeah, yeah, make everything not suck. Right. And it's funny. They can talk without moving their mouth. Yeah. I never, I'm assuming they're psychic. Well, yeah, they all have that same face, too. And blah, 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 we talk like this. And so basically... um, It reminds me of Vincent Price. It's not Vincent Price. Right. Yeah, I don't know who it was. But, um... Fucking, they, uh... The, like, United Nations or whatever finally decode the book. And as the main character, like, the main guy in the episode is getting on the ship, uh, his lady friend is like, Yo, man, don't get on that ship. It's a cookbook. But it's too late by that point because Richard Keel, the alien, is forcing this man on the spaceship and the door shuts as he, like, slides in. And, you know. Yeah. Play on words to serve. The book that that they they leave is called To Serve Man for Dinner. Um, right. Is, is the, the idea. Um and this was uh, one of the Treehouse of Horror, the first uh, Treehouse of Horror episodes on The Simpsons. Okay. Um, with Kang and Kodos. familiar. Oh, it's a great episode. Nobody, but nobody eats The Simpsons. Uh, it's good shit. But anyways, to serve men, uh, some people it's like probably higher on their top ten, but I don't know. I, I like the other episodes more. I think part of why I... Uh why it's not higher up to me is just because it had been spoiled so much for me so it lost any kind of impact which I mean isn't necessarily fair to the episode but that's how it be all I can think of is Soylent Green with Charlton Heston where it's like Soylent Green is people you're eating people and then the people keep eating and they're like this is fucking delicious I wish I had known this before (laughs) I'm terrible but I think like yeah, and that was a very good movie, so I, I just feel like stuff like that, it's been referenced in just everything. Right. So I, I feel like it just kind of, oh, ha, I get it, plan words. And that's... It's a cookbook. Yeah. I You know, and I don't know, I'm not a cannibal, so I, I wouldn't know. But their names were the Cannabits, so... It sounds pretty close. It is. Um, and that's why they needed to eat people. They had the munchies. Right. Well, uh, speaking of munchies, the next episode is from season five. And it's uh, episode 150. Um, Stop over in a quiet town. Uh, Barry Nelson was in this episode. He was the original James Bond, which people don't know that. But um, he played James Bond on TV. Uh, Casino Royale. 
painted uh, Pat Newbert. It was like some TV show, and this was in 1954. So before Sean Connery, rest in peace, uh, Barry Nelson was in it, and him and Nancy Malone, they uh, they play these people that uh, they wake up in this house, and these guys got fucking lit at this party last night, and they don't remember shit though. It's almost like The Hangover. Yeah. You know, they just wake up and they're like, where the fuck are we? Um, let's get the hell out of here. So they start like walking around this house and shit's weird. Like everything in the house is, it's prop shit. It's not real. It's like toys almost. It's almost like as if they're in a giant doll house. Like, oh, that's fucking weird. I don't remember that being like that. <laughs> the friggin' uh, clock is just like, it it doesn't tell the time. All the cabinets are painted on the wall. They're not real. The f- fridge has plastic food. And it's like, what the fuck? So they, uh, all they hear is this like little girl laughing. They're like, yo, let's check it out. Maybe the little girl knows something. Well, turns out, the little girl is a giant. And uh, she's an alien. Because what happened was these people got kidnapped by aliens and now they live in this uh, alien girl's dollhouse. And, uh, you know, it's creepy, but like, I don't know, it's not even that scary to me, but it's just a fun episode. And watching these people take like 20 minutes to figure out, oh my God, like we're not living in a reality right now. We're in a... Like this shit's fake. dollhouse. Right. The grass is like paper mache. The friggin' the train only runs the same route in a circle. Like we're never getting anywhere. Yeah. I love it. Uh, so this is one that uh, I had only seen it recently and I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, but it, it really stuck with me. Um, my second to last honorable mention is Be- Eye of the Beholder. Uh, this is another classic that, you know, when people think of the Twilight Zone, they think of the pig faced people. Um, yeah. who end up to be fascists. But uh, it's funny. Um, this lady, she... Oh, I'm sorry. Eye of the Beholder is season two. Season two, episode six, um, or episode 42. So this lady, she's uh, Janet Tyler. She's undergone her 11th plastic surgery which is the maximum number legally allowed to change her ugly face, according to her. She's like, I'm hideous. But we don't know that because her face is covered in a goddamn bandage the entire episode. And everything is so dark. Like, the cinematography on this one is fantastic, but, um, like, it's, it's a, literally episode. everything. Like, the cinematography is everything for that episode. Because. All you see are silhouettes. Like, yeah, the silhouettes and the the, the backlighting that they use for people um, to kind of draw your suspicion away from her face right. and the doctor's faces. Um, and this is probably the longest face reveal in the history of time. Also, yes. Um, and I love it. And you know what else they do in this episode? They smoke in a hospital, which I thought was absolutely hilarious. But um, 
you know, these people are like, ah, don't worry, it should work this time. And the other 10 surgeries didn't work, but yeah, you know. <laughs> Wrong pipe. So, anyways, they're like, ah, yeah, 11th time's the charm. Uh, 11th time was not the charm. This woman wakes up, or, you know, they, they take the fucking bandage off her face. She's hot. This woman is a babe. And everybody else is a pig face. And uh, their pig face, I call him Pig Hitler. He's on TV <laughs> and he's like, conform to fascism. And they kind of, they're like, hey, we're sending you to the camp. And uh, you're going to go be with people of your kind. And then some hot guy comes out and he's like, <laughs> we're ugly, but at least we'll live amongst our own. And it's, it's clearly... Um, Sending the a horrible message, you know. Uh, don't be a piece of shit. It's not about what's on the outside. It's about what's on the inside. Um, especially, like, the episodes to serve man. You know, they're eating people. Yes. No, I'm, kid- I'm kidding. But, um, well, I mean, biased opinion. I think eating people is bad. Right. But once again, I'm not a, a cannabis. Right. If I was, I'd probably enjoy eating people. That would have been a great crossover episode. But, um, yeah, those pig people, man. I'm like, you, you're the ugly motherfuckers. What are you talking about? Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Gross-ass pig Hitler. There's a great uh, Saturday Night Live sketch with uh, Will Ferrell and Pamela Anderson. And they're all pig. And they're like, she's hot. <laughs> and they just call the episode out. It's great. And you know what that makes me think of as far as SNL is the episode with um, uh, Chris Farley and Patrick Swayze oh, doing when they're the, doing the uh, Chip and Dale dance. Yep, working for the weekend. That's uh, it's it's that bit as an episode of the Twilight Zone plus Pig Hitler. Right. So and that there is creepy. It's fun. Mix like, that shit in your head, episodes. and it it is a weird one. It's just got a very bizarre atmosphere to it that i can't quite place and i think it is a lot of like the cinematography and stuff it's um a lot with like light and shadow and very dark dark uh scenes and very bright bright scenes and i don't know it does something interesting yeah and I'll tell you, the reveal at the end is great. Like, that's the payoff is fantastic. Uh, and I obviously, we spoiled it, but I'm sure people have seen it. If you're listening to this, you've probably seen these episodes. And I mean, we, we've said spoilers, so yeah. at this point, it's your fault, man. But it's like, good what shit. are you doing? And these are all on Hulu. You yes. can watch any of these anytime that's if you have Hulu. Been watching or, it. Hulu, give me money. Right. Don't bit torrent, please, folks. Don't do it. But, uh, anyways, um, my last honorable mention, season one, episode five, Walking Distance. Uh, you know this one, Jeremy? Uh, yeah, actually, that was one of the, um, I, I, well, I read all the synopses, but that's one of the ones where I remembered, like, the entire episode except the, um, the end, so I ended up reading the entire synopsis for it instead of scanning until I remembered it. Right. Uh, Martin Sloan, he's this uh, ad, ad, ad executive, and he's driving down the road, 
And he happens to be in his hometown when he was a kid. And it's exactly the way it was when he was a kid. And he's like, something ain't right. Something ain't right. But, you know, he walks away. A genius of a man, truly. Um, He actually sees himself as a kid. And he's like, yo, man, that's me. Uh, And the child version of him, like, runs away. Because adult him is like, yo, yo, kid, chill out. So he follows him to his house, because obviously he knows where he lives. And he's like, yo, mom and dad, it's me. It's me. It's, it's, it's your boy, Marty. And uh, they're like, what? No. And the mom slaps him. <laughs> they're like, fuck off, bitch. I like how she couldn't, like, see her son and then imagine him older in her head be like, okay, I could see that. She's just like, no, fuck off. But, um, yeah, so then he... Uh, he goes back to this park and he finds himself again on a carousel. Kid falls off and then he starts hurting. And he's like, oh shit, it really is me. And uh, his dad ends up coming and like talking to him and being like, yo man, I get it. You want to live in the past, uh, but you got to live in the present and look towards the future. And it's a great message. You yeah. know, I feel like I spend a lot of time um, looking into the past being like, Man, those were the good old days. It's like what Andy Bernard says. It's it's hard to tell the good old days when, when they're already gone or whatever like that. Yeah. And um, on, on a related note, I, I don't know. Um, so the, the... Hold on, let me... Okay. Yeah, I just had to think because it's the name of the street I grew up on. And I just wanted to make sure in my head that it's not like a bank password or something because I always ask a safety question. I never pick that one. Um, but literally the name of the street we lived on when I was growing up until like fifth grade or something was Halcyon, which I don't know if you know, but it. Uh, I, I pulled up the definition to, to read it exactly, but... Um, the exact definition of Halcyon is denoting a period of time in the past that was idyllic, idyllically happy and peaceful. And I'm like, wow, that is... On the nose. Like, bizarrely on the nose. And I'm like, that just seems like a street where you're supposed to be like Living a kid on and then move away from. is very strange. Almost like the law. Yeah. Almost like... I lived, my, my street was in another zone, like maybe a twilight zone. Mm-hmm. Anyway. All right. <laughs> Excellent. So that, that takes us to uh, our top ten. Uh, and we'll go back and forth, you know, start ten to one. And, I was just uh, going to ask if that's how you yep. back and forth. Yeah, we'll bounce back and forth. So uh, give me your number ten, Jerry. So my number, okay, so I... The Twilight Zone does all kinds of episodes. There's creepy ones and sentimental ones, and there's really, really good ones where I feel like they really... Like, TV was still more or less new at this point, and I feel like this was something where you could tell with a lot of episodes that they were trying to do 
something artistic, not just like make a show, but try. And then there are episodes that are so damn bad that they're just fantastic. And my number 10 is I feel like the epitome of that. It is Nightmare at 20,000 Feet. Yes. It is the dumbest damn episode, but so good. Um, so, this man, played by William Shatner, because... Why not? I, you really couldn't ask for someone better for this episode. It would have been so bad it's good with anyone. But then you add in William Shatner, and it's like, my God, just... Perfect. Um, and you know who directed this episode? No. Richard Donner, the man who directed The Goonies. Oh, yes. You mentioned that the other night. Um, which, he got better. So that's yeah. yay, yay making progress. Um, so William Shatner plays this man. He, he's with his wife on an airplane. He had a nervous breakdown. He just got out of the, um, whatever they called the MHU back then. I, I think it was basically they just waterboarded you until you stopped crying or something. <laughs> the crazy nuts, um, they call it. Yeah, like they were, they were very accepting of people with mental illnesses back then. Right. Um, there's some fantastic lines about that, too throughout the episode where I'm just like, holy shit, that is very inappropriate. Um, but anyway, so he had a nervous breakdown. He is leaving the, um, BHU or whatever it would be back then. And, um, they're flying back and he's nervous, but he's like, I can do this. And then he's looking out the window and they're kind of flying into you know, a bit of a storm. Right. It's cloudy. There's clouds whipping by. It's dark, and there's you know occasional lightning and stuff. But what else is uh, what else is there? And then he sees on the wing of the plane the stupidest looking monster I've <laughs> ever seen in anything. It's goddamn brilliant. It looks like, I don't know... Like a gorilla fighter. Yeah, <laughs> like if you mix Grimace with a silverback, it's the stupidest fucking thing. It looks like the dude's wrapped in a body-sized sham wow. It's great. Okay. Um, like a ghillie suit from uh, Call of Duty, <laughs> yes. literally. And he starts ripping shit off the plane. And... Basically, the whole episode is him trying to be like, look out the window, there's a a friggin' dude on the plane. And they're like, they think he's going nuts because every time they look, it's gone. This is the ultimate gaslighting episode. The the thing with how it's gone is also literally possibly one of my favorite things. Definitely something that is eternally burned in my brain is the image of this friggin' dweeb standing on the plane, ripping bits out, and then someone looks over, and it just lifts up its arms and legs, and how it moves off the wing, you gotta, if you haven't seen it, you really have to see it. It's the stupidest shit ever, and it's so good. And they, 
the things fucking with him the, the whole episode. He there's a a cop. I hope it's a cop on the plane with a gun. I mean, if he is a cop, he's completely inept anyway. Because what um, happens? How does how does he lose the gun? It turns out. Um, there's, there's no possible negatives to having a gun on an airplane. Surprise, just kidding. It's a terrible idea. So he takes the, the, the cop's gun. But how does he do it? He, the most conspicuous way ever. How I would, I would, you know, not gonna go there because FBI, but if I was to try and take someone from, I'd do something subtle. Uh, head to the bathroom and grab it and pocket it or something like that. Uh, he walks over and hunches over this man's entire ass body like Nosferatu and takes this thing out of and his then pocket. walks back to his. And I'm like, this is the most conspicuous way of doing this possible. You could not be more obvious unless you go. Hey, you need that gun? And then just took it from him, like... So he takes it. Hey, buddy, I need this gun so I can shoot out the window at the man on the way. You know, the plane that we're in the middle of the fucking sky flying at hundreds of miles an hour? Yeah. Which, it turns out, is exactly what he fucking does. He gets in his seat, and he does his seatbelt, which, I mean, I guess it's good that he thought it through that much. Um, but didn't think it through enough because he opens the damn emergency exit and all while breaks. they're flying. Everything's flying around the cabin. There's wind, and he just starts taking pot shots and, at this and thing. he's on the outside of the plane <clears throat> at this he, point. Yes, he's been half pulled out of the plane. So from, like, the waist up... He's hanging out of the plane. There's friggin', it's friggin' raining on, just to remind you, this is William Shatner. So it's William Shatner half hanging out of an airplane, getting friggin' rained on. Holding on to the wall with one hand. And the gun with the other. Trying to just take pot shots at what has to be one of the stupidest looking monsters I've seen in my life. It is... Over the top ridiculous, and it's so damn good. And then you think that's the twist. The twist is they take the plane down, they land, they they recommit him to the um, house. Yeah, to the nut house, and then they find out that one of the um, the the housings on the engine that the son was fucking with. Is all bent up. It turns out the friggin' gremlin was real. And and uh, Rod Serling's little end narration confirms that he's, he says that... Um, here, let's see if I, I can pull it up. He says um, the flight that he was on has now ended, blah, blah, blah. Um, Mr. Wilson has that fear no longer, though for the moment he is, as he said, alone in his assurance. Happily, his conviction will not remain isolated too much longer, for happily, tangible manifestation is very often left as evidence of trespass. Um, Which, to me, at least, confirms that, yes, there actually was a little fucking gremlin on the wing the whole goddamn time. Looking in the window every time he looked out the window. Oh my god, I totally forgot to mention when he opens the friggin' window and the thing's face is pushed up against it, 
also just brilliant. To, the whole episode is just so funny. It's funny and it's bad and really over the top and great. Like it's just such a perfect train wreck episode, but like in a fantastic. Oh, it's lovely. Oh, <laughs> it is a weird, weird friggin' episode. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's it is fucking hilarious. Like, people probably thought it was terrifying. Oh, I'm sure time. they were like, "Holy shit! Look at that thing! <laughs> How'd they get him on the other side of the plane?" Right, and this whole time you're watching this guy, and he's clearly like on a soundstage, just jumping <laughs> yes. around with a fucking industrial fan. <laughs> but it looks so funny now, and um, just when it takes off. Oh God, yeah. Every it, single time, it's, it's like just, there's no gravity. Yeah. <laughs> It's just burned in my head because it just looks so friggin' preposterous. Yeah, it's definitely one one for people that that's a must watch. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. So that was number ten. Um, for me, number ten, season five, episode nineteen. Um, it's also the one hundred and thirty ninth episode. It's called Night Call. And this is the one where the old lady, Elva Keen, she's like super old and she uh, is getting these weird fucking phone calls in the middle of the night. It's stormy out. So, you know, she, she keeps picking up the phone. Hello? Hello? And all you hear is like static. And she's like, hello. And, you know, she's being really raggedy. And uh, and there's nobody on the other end. So she's like, huh, bunch of fucking kids calling my phone in the middle of the night. And she has her... Word um, for word, that's what she says. Yeah, verbatim. Yeah. <laughs> so um, the next, you know, the next day, uh, she picks up the phone again. And, and this is basically just... Um, you know, it's like it's like the opposite of a telemarketer. It's like whoever's on the other end of a telemarketer has to deal with it. And the amount of phone calls she gets in this episode, I think she gets probably twenty different fucking phone calls. And all she's hello, and she's got a nurse that helps her out. And uh, the nurse is like, "Yo, you want me to pick up the phone?" She's like, "Yes, yes, yeah, pick it up." And so the nurse picks it up, and nobody's on the other end. And uh. So she's like, well, we got to trace it. We got we to gotta call the power company because this is bullshit. So, um, you know, when she picks up the phone, she hears, hello, hello. And it's like some fucking ghostly, like creepy, you know, you're like, oh shit, what's going on with this old lady? Is she going to get got? Well, turns out the power company traces the phone call to the fucking power line. And she's like, what? You know, what, what the fuck's going on? Well, turns out this power line is, uh, isn't is connected to anything. But it's, it's at a cemetery next to a grave. And that grave is the grave of her old boyfriend, Brian, who uh, she killed in an automobile accident uh, a long time ago. And... Uh, 
you know, before before this, she was like, leave me alone. Stop calling, asshole. So the very last phone call she gets, you know, she's like, oh, wait, no, it's him. It's him. I can talk to the dead. Holy shit. And uh, she's like, please, please don't, you know, don't not call me. Please talk to me. And she's like, no, you told me not to. <laughs> and that's the end of the episode. And... It's just so fucking funny to me. I don't know why. As a kid, it scared the fuck out of me. Just the disembodied, hello. Like, I'm like, God, that's terrifying. But the older I get, I'm like, God, that shit's funny. It it very much has a um, scary stories to tell in the dark vibe to it to me. Right. Um, in a good way. He's calling from <laughs> outside the house. <laughs> yeah. But... That was uh, number 10. So, number 9. My number 9 is... Uh, this is this is one of the more sentimental episodes that I like. Um, one for the Angels, which is actually season 1, episode 2. Um, the very second episode. And um, basically what it's about is this guy who... He's a salesman, and he sells toys and things, and he's kind of friends with the neighborhood children, but not in, like, a, you know, murder kind of way. Or creepy, like, a yeah. piece of shit way, no. Um, he's a good he's just a very nice man and a salesman. And, and everybody loves him. Um, yeah, he's he's genuinely liked. Um, and <clears throat> who, who comes death to see comes... Mr. Death. Yes. And he's like, yeah, time's up, more or less. Right. And uh, he convinces Death to let him um, stay alive until he makes one amazing sales pitch, like the best sales pitch ever. And uh, One for the angels. One for the angels. And uh, Death is like, Okay, fine. And he's like, huh, well, funny thing about that, I'm retiring tomorrow. Loophole, I live forever, and death's like, "Okay, yeah, shit, you got me. Um, so what which, did you do? It's a very agreeable thing from death, but death also is like, well, that means someone else is going to die instead. He's like, sucks to suck. So what is this episode really a precursor to? So final destination. Yes. <laughs> it is it is 1959 final destination. Um so one of the little kids that he's friends with, Maggie, um <clears throat> she ends up getting hit by a truck. Now, and, if a child gets hit by a truck, what, what are their chances of survival? Uh I mean in her case not great. Um, well, for anybody, like, you get hit by I, a truck, you're dead. I I assume that children are made of rubber, though. They're, right. they're, they're highly indestructible. I mean, Maggie wasn't, but, you know. Well, nah, she's only in a coma, though. <laughs> this is true. She is in a coma. She didn't die. Um, yet. But it's, it's one of those imminent things. And... Um, so uh, the the man bookman, um, is he sees death again and he um, 
<clears throat> he makes this this plea for her and he says that he he'll go with him instead and um that's like nah and um she wake but she wakes up and they tell him that he'll live and he's like well that's perfect and death is like yes but now you've completed the final bargain you have made um you have made one for the angels by bargaining for her life and now i get to take you that's that's how it works out and he's like you know what that's fine and um oh they they mentioned the ending and i i love it. it it's my favorite part um but he he brings his suitcase to, I guess, try and grift people in heaven. <laughs> um, no, but he he says you never know when is someone uh, who might need something up there, and then he's he gets kind of nervous and he's like, up there, like, I am going up there, right? And um, death is, says up there, Mister Bookman, you made it, and I'm like. That that's a nice one. I mean, it's kind of not an upper if you think about it. Um, but I guess he was gonna die anyway, so kind of a wash. Um, but yes, that is that is my number nine. Yeah, it's one of the nicer episodes, I'd say. It's not really scary. It's yeah, not, it's not really funny or anything, but uh, it's a it's a sentimental one. Yeah, which happy ending, which you don't get in the Twilight Zone. Yeah, I mean, and it's, yeah, a lot of the happy episodes are happy in, like, a, um, poetic or, uh, Oligarian justice kind of way, where it's, like, Irony. yeah, ironic, and people getting their comeuppance, but I, I, this one is just kind of nice, um, it kind of works out for everyone, even... Mr. Bookman who dies because, well, he's he's going up. So I guess, you know, best you can hope for that kind of situation. Oh, yeah. Um, <clears throat> that was episode nine. Yep. For me, episode nine, it's uh, season five, episode six, uh, episode 126 in total. Living Doll. Uh, you have Mr. Uh, Kojak himself, Telly Savalas. Uh, playing this dude, Eric, and he's he's a dick. This guy's a real friggin' dickhead. Uh, his new wife and her daughter, his his stepdaughter, she goes out shopping, you know, and and the mother's like, yeah, 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 don't uh, don't tell daddy about this uh, doll, you know, this is our little secret, and. Uh, as she walks in, he's like, our little secret, what are you talking about? And she's like, yo, the kid's like, yo, check this doll out. And the guy's like, doll? What the fuck do you mean you got a doll? And, uh, you know, you're a fun guy. So um, the little girl is like, come on, please, can I keep it? And she's like, the girl needs it. The, the kids are dicks, and uh, this is like her, this is her safety doll. This is her comfort zone. Um <coughs> 
you know, after coming through a divorce, like, the kid needs love. And clearly she's not getting it from this Aaron guy. So, uh, Taki Tina comes into the conversation. And for some people, this is the OG Chucky doll. Um, <laughs> you know, but I feel like Chucky was an evil <clears throat> prick. Where this doll is basically just carrying out justice uh, on behalf of this kid. But anyways, you know, it's pretty much told through the perspective of Telly Savalas' character. And uh, he's he's a real asshole. Like He's like, I don't like you, doll. I'm going to kick your ass. And the doll's like, I wouldn't do that. I don't like you. And, uh, and he's like, you don't like me. You're a doll. You're a toy. And this whole time he thinks it's his wife talking, like, through some walkie-talkie or some shit. And the wife's like, I don't know what you're talking about, man. You're nuts. And, uh, but he's not nuts. And she's not talking through the walkie-talkie. The doll is alive. Hence the title, Living Doll. And, uh... Who could have seen it coming? Right. And it's great. Because, uh, halfway through the episode, he finally wises up and he's like, I got it. I'm gonna kill this fucking doll. So he brings her out to the garage and, um, you know, steals her from the kid. And the kid, like, throws a fit. And he's like, nah, I ain't playing this game. And he puts the doll's head in a uh, fucking vice, vice grip. And he freaking cranks it, cranks it, cranks it. Nothing happens. It's like, what? Yeah. This is bullshit. <laughs> you know, I put a doll's head in there, fucking pop. Um, you know, he puts it on the table saw. And the fucking table saw, he grinds it, grinds it, grinds it at the neck. Fucking pulls it out and it's pristine. Nothing's happened to it. It's actually probably in better condition uh, after the saw than it was before you put it through the saw. It polished it up a bit. All right. And then he's like, all right, time to get the blowtorch. <laughs> fucking blowtorch is the thing. Nothing. The blowtorch turns off every time you put, like, he flicks it on. It's like, no, come on, come on, come on. And you know, Oh, yeah, I forgot just, about that. It's, it's great shit. Uh, great, you know, trick, trickery, however they did it. The only like, thing he doesn't try and do is stop being such an amazing asshole, which uh, at that point seems like the path of least resistance. You would think. So he throws this thing in the trash, puts the lid on it, and uh, what happens? The doll comes out of the trash can. How? We don't know. But, uh... Saint. Yeah, it's terrible. Well, it's not terrible. It's funny. But, um... The end of the episode, you know, he's just, he's a miserable prick, and he's walking uh, down the stairs to go smoke a doobie or something, I don't remember, and one shows up on the floor right at the top of the stairs, but the doll, and the doll trips him, and he takes this fall down the stairs, and you're like, eh, that probably wouldn't kill him, but who knows, you know, it's the 60s, people were a lot weaker in the 60s, I'm I'm kidding, but um, he's dead, the guy dies. And the doll, the mother, you know, sees it. And the doll's like, yo, bitch, you better, you better not be mean to your I'm, kid. I'm talking Tina. You better be nice to me. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> so, you know, that episode alone drove up sales of talking dolls uh, like 10,000%. <clears throat> no, I'm kidding. But, uh, did, did absolutely nothing to the numbers for child abuse. Yeah. That's uh, sad. <laughs> But, um, just, it's, it's a great episode, you know, and one that everybody should watch. And it's a great lesson. Don't be a dick. Uh, right. Uh, the sentimental one. And then, I wonder, I wonder if, uh, Mr. Bookman 
Solder the talking Tina. Would have yeah. been perfect. That would have been funny. <clears throat> but um, that brings us to number eight. So my number eight is A Penny for Your Thoughts. Season 2, episode 16. Um, and... Uh, this was I I saw this one much later into when I was watching it, and I I thought it was a great one. It's a a pretty um you know no standard. Um, this guy is going to grab a newspaper. Um, he's just your run of the mill like. Just a he works at a bank. He's a blank bank clerk, and uh, he kind of meek. Um yes. That, that it, which is, he is a meek guy. He, he is not overly assertive. And, um, so he. This was Dick York from uh, Bewitched. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, he, uh. See, I don't know any of the actors. He was the but... original Darren Stevens. Um, <clears throat> and then he was replaced by Dick Sargent. Okay. But the Greg heads he, already knew that. He uh, so he tosses a penny uh, into this guy's coin tray to take a paper because, man, can you imagine paying a penny for a paper? Anyway, oh yeah. Um, and it lands on the edge, and they're like, "Wow, that's that's pretty crazy. That's neat. I'm gonna leave it like that. Like you don't see that every day." And he's like, "Yeah, right." And uh. He almost gets hit by a car. And he becomes and, uh, schizophrenic. It, it, he starts hearing voices. Uh, the, the the driver is like, hey man, are you okay kind of thing. But then he he hears him saying angry mean shit to him. And it's like, that's weird. And he, he starts hearing his boss saying something about having an affair with a mistress. And he realizes that he can hear what people are thinking. Um, D and D spell, learn surf or, or uh, read surface thoughts, I think it's called. But um, there's a a coworker that he's got a thing for, and she she's looking at him and she's kind of admiring him, but wishes that he was more assertive. And oh yeah, don't we don't we all have that problem? <laughs> So, a bunch of stuff happens. He, he hears a bunch of people's thoughts and things they're planning. He hears this old guy uh, thinking about how he wants to steal a bunch of money from the bank and go off to Bermuda and stuff. And uh, so what ends up happening is he can, um, he can hear all these people's thoughts. He, he gets a... Um, a promotion from his boss and he um, he, he threatens him by being like I'm going to tell your wife about the the affair that you're having and or I need a, a promotion and he gets um, he blackmails a, yeah he blackmails a um, trip a vacation for to Bermuda Paid for by the company for the the old guy who wanted to rob the bank and go to Bermuda, but was never going to. And he gets a date with this 
um, Smoking one that he was very into. <clears throat> and um, so he... <laughs> Sorry, folks. Bless you. And um, so he gets a date with this woman and then he comes back. He buys an afternoon paper and puts another penny in it. And he knocks his original penny over. The guy at the stand is like, oh, darn, that was neat. Which is incredible um, because that means that nobody bought a fucking paper from this right? poor vendor for hours. He's, he's just like, no, 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 don't put it in that. That's cool. This guy just threw it like that. And he's like, but which is weird to me because if I walked up to like a newspaper stand and there was just a nickel sitting there on its side and there was someone like, no, no, don't worry. A guy just flicked it like that. It'd be like, okay, <laughs> sure, whatever you say. Like, I'm not going to believe that. Like, that's one of those things. If I don't see it happen, I'm going to be like, bullshit, prove it. Right. Um, you could just play, whatever. Anyway, so he knocks the coin down and he discovers he can't hear people's thoughts anymore. And he really doesn't care. I mean, he got a promotion. He got... Nice vacation for this guy at his job. He got a date with the, this woman that he's into, and it's and he's uh, a better person. For the six, the late fifties. So you know they're probably gonna get married after like hanging out two more times and drinking malt or some shit. I don't know. Right. Um. And yeah, he realizes I don't really want that anyway because people are weird, and I don't want to know what they're thinking. Which is entirely fair. Oh, yeah. Now, you don't so, want to read people's minds. No. Not unless I mean, you're Anthony Fremont. I feel like it's rude anyway, but also, I don't I don't need to know how messed up what other people think is. I don't know. I don't trust y'all. Y'all are some weirdos. Deviant. Right. Uh, I just have to be on... Eye bleach constantly. <laughs> Y'all sick bastards. Excellent. So that was number eight. Yep. For me, uh, number eight, also from season one. Um, <clears throat> season one. I have quite a bit of season one on mine, not going to lie. Hell yeah. This is season one, episode 28. Uh, nice place to visit. And uh, this one is, damn, I've probably seen this one five times. I just, it's a fun episode. And uh, you got this guy, Rocky, Rocky Valentine. He's, he just robbed the pawn shop. And he's climbed up this fucking fence and he gets gadded. You know, they're just like, bang, bang, bang. And he falls to the ground. You're like, oh, he's dead. Like, he's clearly dead. You don't just survive that. Well, all of a sudden, this fucking old dude comes up. And it's uh, Sebastian Cabot, who uh, everybody knows him from uh, the Jungle Book. He was the Bagheera, the... The Black Panther there. he I call him the one good animal in the movie. That wasn't like trying to kill Mowgli. But, um, you know, he was also uh, the narrator for a lot of the Winnie the Pooh shit. But um, he's this basically a guardian angel. And this guy walks around and, uh, and Rocky's very skeptical the whole time. Like for the first ten minutes. He's like, yo man, I'm, I'm going to rob you. Like, you know, oh you got a bunch of money? Give me your money. And he's like, okay, here you go. And and the guy keeps calling him Fats. So he puts up Fats. And uh, 
And guy's like, okay, man, well, listen, you know, I'm basically here to hook you up with whatever the fuck you want, so let's let's get shit going. He's like, ah, okay. Um, and now they go to this hotel, and, uh, and he's like, okay, wow, you know, he's like, whatever you want. And the guy can't believe, he's like, ah, there's a catch. There's always a catch, isn't there? And the guy's like, what What do you mean? What catch? No, there's no catch. And so the guy gets uh, some babes and uh, gets a shit ton of money. And he starts going to the casino in the hotel. And he goes and hits the slot machine. It's a winner every fucking time. Goes to play some cards. Fucking it's a winner. Plays craps. It's a winner. Roulette. Everything is a winner for this guy. He just can't lose. And uh, by like the fourth or fifth day, he's like, all right, this fucking sucks, man. Like, you know, I, I can't get my kicks. There's no risk to it. And uh, the guardian angel's like, I mean, I can arrange for you to lose sometimes. He's like, no, it's not the same. I would know. And uh, he's like, man, this uh, heaven. Heaven sucks, dude. And the uh, angel's like, I never said you were in heaven. <laughs> and he starts fucking laughing like a maniac. And... Uh, and then, you know, the guy's basically trapped in his hotel room as uh, the episode ends, and, and the fat guy is laughing. And surprised at him. Yeah, and that's the Twilight Zone for you. But uh, it's a fun episode. And uh, I just, you know, watching the, the main guy, you're like, this guy's a fucking dick. Like, shut the fuck yeah. up and enjoy your babes and your free money and, like, live live like this. But he just, he was a greedy piece of shit. And he always wanted to get his kicks, so... Uh, yeah. yeah. This was also... I forgot just how many... <clears throat> like, Futurama has a ton of Twilight Zone references. And then I was... As I was reading through... Kind of refreshing myself on, on all the episodes, I realized... Just how many references there were that I had forgotten. And it's like, holy shit... Did they just remake Futurama with, or uh, Twilight Zone, Zone with um, Bender the drunken robot, and that was that was the only difference. They took out Rod Serling and replaced him with an alcoholic robot. Um, not really, but that does sound like an awesome show. So uh, I would watch that too. I would love to watch car- uh, cartoon Twilight Zone with Bender the drunken robot. Yeah. But uh, that was my number eight. So now we're down to seven. Seven is um, another one I just really like. Um, it kind of reminds me of that one. It's What You Need, um, Season 1, Episode 12. <laughs> season 1, Episode 12. Um, and this one was another one. I feel like this is halfway in between. Uh, like uh, It's, it's a, another kind of cathartic... Um, come up in episode that's just fantastic um but there's this guy and he uh he just gives people things they need um, right as soon as they need it a, a, as soon as they just happen to need it and it's it's like weird things um that it's like what what would you even need that for 
But like, well, what am I going to use this for? And he's like, I don't know. Uh, you, like he you goes just, down to Dallas, finds Lee it. Harvey Oswald, and he's like, yo, here's this gun. <laughs> he, he didn't work for the FBI. Um, <laughs> but, or would that be CIA? Uh, probably both. Um, so, f- for example, he, um, he goes in a bar and he gives this woman a vial of cleaning fluid and then he gives this other uh, uh, baseball player a bus ticket. To fucking Scranton. <laughs> to Scranton, office... which I thought was funny. There's also a couple other episodes that I realized uh, take place um, around Scranton or reference Scranton or in Pennsylvania kind of in general. I, I didn't know Pennsylvania was such a hub because every time I go there, there's nothing, nothing there. Um, I mean, yes, we're driving through the woods. Anyway, I'm sure there are things in people in Pennsylvania. I've just never seen them. So, um, but he, he gives this woman cleaning fluid and this guy a bus ticket to Scranton. And, um, the, the guy's a baseball player who gets the, the ticket. And, um. He receives a job offer in Scranton. Hey, would you look at that? He already has a ticket. And um, he he looks kind of... He, he's got a spot on his coat. And um, he wants to, you know, look his best. And the woman's like, oh, actually, I have cleaning fluid I could clean that with. And they clearly, like... The gift of the Magi instantly look at each other and are like oh how you doing so the cleaning fluid ended up helping them talk to each other and he can now get this baseball um job position career whatever um so it's it's just a very interesting ability he can give he gives seemingly random objects to people who just happen to need those objects right then. So, um, so this guy gives, um, yeah, this, this angry, mean dick guy, uh, Fred Renard, um, asks him to, to give the, the man to give him what he needs. And the, the guy gives him a pair of scissors. I'm surprised he didn't give him an ass kicking. I, <laughs> yeah. Well, um, so um, he gives this guy scissors, and the guy, uh, Renard's uh, scarf gets caught in an elevator, and he uses the scissors to cut the scarf, and it saves his life. So uh, Renard shows up at this guy. His name is... Um, I don't, I don't remember. We'll call him Pettit. Pettit, probably Pettit. Um, I, I haven't watched the episode recently, but I remember the episode, and so I don't remember how the name is pronounced, and just looking at notes. But anyway, uh, so he goes to Pettit's apartment, and asking for another thing he needs, and, uh, he gives him, uh, leaky fountain pen which predicts a, a winning racehorse and he he keeps going to him to, to try and get stuff and um he gives him shoes that are uh they have leather soles 
and he's like, oh, I hate leather soles, because he complains that they, they don't have good enough traction, and he's, uh, he starts coming after the guy, Pettit, uh, Brennard starts coming after Pettit, and, uh, he's backing away from him, and they're outside on the, in the wet street, and, uh, Pettit slips, and he gets hit by a car and dies. Oops. Uh, or, sorry, Renard, uh, gets hit by a car and dies, and it turns out Pettit, um, Pettit needed the shoes because Renard was going to kill him. So Pettit needed the shoes because that's why he fell and got, um, hit and died. And, um... So then he he gives the episode ends with him giving a man a comb and he fixes his hair to get his picture taken in the paper so he's still going to go back to doing his little thing because he's got kind of the weirdest neatest superpower I've seen in anything like that it's just such an oddly specific power and it doesn't seem like it would be nearly as useful as it was, but it turns out if, like, um, Pettit, you are a generous, kind person, you can help a, a ton of people, and it turns out you're oddly good at defending yourself, um, because you can get whatever you need, too, and it's, it's just kind of a cool story, just... Um, Very coincidental. Yeah. And it, it? it's interesting seeing it kind of set up this idea for an, a weird power and um, kind of exploring what would that be like? Greed versus and necessity. Then getting into, yeah, um, how those things kind of balance each other out and, and how it helps him being not a shit person so that that is but that is definitely i like superhero stuff and uh you know if there was a superhero if there was a, a comic with a superhero with this power i i uh, i definitely definitely want to check it out um so yeah all right very good um that was number seven Yes. My number seven, season three, The Midnight Sun. This is, uh, <laughs> see, and we just watched this one. This is season three, episode 10, uh, or the 75th episode in total. This is one that I very clearly remember from the first time I watched it through. And, uh, like, this lady Norma, she, uh, is a painter, um, and she's like living in this apartment in New York, and uh, it's pretty much just her and her landlady. Like, we see these other neighbors that are like, "Oh yeah, we're going fucking, we're getting out of here. We're going to wherever to find refuge." And uh, at this point, you know, it's a hundred freaking ten degrees out, and uh, it's like you know, almost midnight, and it's sunny as fuck. Um, it's hot and. Uh, basically, these women are just, like, melting to death, you know, and uh, it's getting bleak and bleak and bleak, and uh, 
they're like, lock your door, hide your kids, hide your wife. Don't fucking let anybody in. I don't care if they are the ice cream man or what. Don't let them in. So, uh, you know, this guy I fucking... let the ice cream man in that situation. Well, yeah, I guess if it was the ice cream man, you would want him. But, uh, well, not because the ice cream fryer already melted by the time he's walking up the uh, door. That's true. I mean, on the plus side, he might kill me, which I feel like would be a better fate. Right. It mentions the humidity, and it's higher than it should ever be. It was like, what was it? It was like 120 with like 98% humidity or some bullshit. Like, at that point, just why do you even want to live? Right. <laughs> and Norma and her um, landlord, they, landlady, they're just like, yo, uh, we got to support each other. And then all of a sudden, this fucking dude... Uh, He's like banging on the door. He's like, let me in. And they're like, no. And they're like, God damn it. And he's like, I got a gun. Or no, she had a gun. But um, the landlady opens the damn door. And uh, he walks in, takes the gun. And he starts drinking the water from the freezer. And he's like, God, you know, he's just uh, going crazy. And he's like, listen, I'm not a piece of shit. I just, he's driving me crazy. I just, I just play one on TV. Right. And, uh, he's like, my wife and my kid died and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just a drifter going from room to room trying to find water to douse myself in. So, um. And then break the bottle like a dick. Which... Yeah, dude. He fucking broke that jug and he was, he was fucked up. Uh, so then, you know, shit's just getting worse and worse and worse. Uh. She's painting this waterfall, and she's like, check it out. You know, this is a waterfall. And uh, the landlady just fucking dies. Um, yeah. And, you know, the temperature keeps going up, riding, 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 and fucking breaks the thermometer. And, uh, you know, she screams, and all of a sudden, ba-doom, uh, she wakes up. And I think my favorite part about that is when the paintings start melting. Oh, that was so crazy. Like I don't know how they the, did it. Right? Like, all the paint... It shows, like, all her paintings, which she, she's been drawing paintings... Or painting paintings of, um, like, the sun and everything being hot and on fire, except for the one waterfall she did. And, uh, and they just... All the paint starts melting off of them... And it's wild looking and it's a crazy ass scene. Like it you can tell she's like fucking losing her mind. Right. Um, and then yeah, she wakes up. And what happened? She's got a fever and it's negative ten out, and the earth is actually moving further away from the sun and they're all gonna freeze to death instead. <laughs> uh, so you know, it's kinda of funny. But. And I like that episode ending with her um saying to the old woman that um, it's it's nice to be somewhere cool and dark and the the old woman her her landlady is like oh yeah it's it's great um, <laughs> that's we're all dying and it is just a very weird it's one of those things where um, you know, during winter, everyone, I feel like, knows at least one person who every winter is like, I hate winter, it's cold, I want it to be summer. And then yeah, summer comes, and then they're like, I'm hot and sweaty and miserable, why can't it be winter? No, that's not me. And I I love it. See, that 
definitely I know some people who are like that. Um, and it, it makes me think of that. It's <laughs> just the comparison of she's like, oh, wow, this is freezing. It's nice. I love it. And it's like, you bitch. Um, <laughs> must be nice. Yeah. We're all suffering. But um, that was number seven, so we're down to six. Almost top five. And my number six, which he knew it was going to show Well, not them. You specifically yes. knew it was going to show up because we, we both love this episode. Uh, I'm curious where it's going to be on your list because I know it's got to be, which is a stop at Willoughby. Yes. Um, Willoughby. <laughs> it's next up such a good episode um it's my my inevitable suicide no will be off to willoughby oh, um, no 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 <laughs> well now you know if the government kills me because if that's not what it says then they did it <laughs> if you work for the nsa don't listen to that um last part just skip over it um but it is season one episode 30 so, um, Gart. This is such a weird name. I, I, I was wondering if it was like short. I was like, what it, what it is short for? And it turns out nothing. It is just a ludicrous name. Right. Um, like if you had one more letter, it'd be Garth. Which is um, a normal name. Fairly normal compared to Gart. I, I mean, I've heard of two people named Garth. Which would be Garth Algar and Garth Brooks, yep. and uh, no one with a spelling error of a name. Right. So, uh, and once again, the um, uh, protagonist, I guess, of the story is um, a kind of um, unassertive. Yeah, he is. Well, in I don't know even that I think of him as being not assertive. Well, I'll get there, but almost immature. I feel like he's he's just more. His pacing is different. Like he's just got a much slower pace. He lives in New York City, and he's a an executive at some. He's he's an advertising executive. Which is a very common job, I feel like, in the Twilight Zone. It's like they're back in the sixties. Everybody was an ad exec. Yeah, you know, they were all living the uh, Mad Men life. It's like the the sixties equivalent of like, uh, of like cubicle job from the nineties. Right, it's office like, worker. Yeah, um, at least that's the the feeling I get. Because like William Shatner's character in that one episode. Well, yeah, and um. So he he's he's at work. He's got a very pushy boss. Push, 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 pushy boss. Push, push, push. He, he says him? that all the time. Just push, push, push. So, so um, his boss is pushing him and pushing him, and he's uh, he calls him Fat Boy. I don't remember <laughs> the whole line. He's like, you can take this job, Fat Boy, or something like that. Yeah. And uh, he just leaves this meeting that he's in. He he messed up some deal or something, and yeah. so he goes a into a million his, dollar deal. Um, yeah, 
And he goes into his office and he's just like, yeah, fuck this. So uh, he goes home. His wife is just on his ass because she's. And this one was like clearly, a gold digger almost. Yeah. It, it seemed like she just kind of picked a guy and then was just planning on kind of trying to crush him into what she wanted. Um, right. And. Um, you don't work for you, you work for me. Yeah. Um, oh, well, and I, I jumped ahead a bit. So he, he's heading home to his just terrible wife and he's on a train and he passes out and he he falls asleep on the train and uh he wakes up and he's in not the train well he's like, in the train it looks much older and there's a different conductor he kind of is familiar with the conductor of the train and and it's a different guy it's his old guy and he says they're at Willoughby and he's like where the hell is Willoughby and he looks out the window and there's um, you know someone riding by on one of those bicycles with the you know the big ass front wheel and the tiny back wheel and the tiny back wheel and there's uh, women in fancy dresses lemonade and lemonade bandstand all that kind of stuff and he's like oh, oh this place looks nice and then he gets jolted awake, and he's like, well, that's a weird dream. And he asks the conductor about it, and the conductor's like, no, I never heard of the place. I don't know. And he's like, okay. So he goes home. His wife's a terrible battle axe. Um, and she's <laughs> a miserable bitch. Um, she's and like, you need to grow up, pal. You can't just be a Huckleberry fan. <laughs> yeah. Which, Huck fan, no, <laughs> We um, won't go there. We won't go there. <laughs> oh no. Um but so again he falls asleep on the train and it's Willoughby and he's like Next stop Okay. And he gets up and he's gonna get off the train and then it jars and wakes him up again and he's like oh, shit. motherfucker just wants to go to Willoughby. Next time, next time I am gonna go to Willoughby. And he uh He's at work, and his boss is, surprise, surprise, a ginormous dick. Uh, he calls his wife, who also, to the surprise of no one, is 0% supportive. Um, he's got his boss yelling him at him, push, push, push. This is a push, push, push business. Push, push, push. And he just says that over and over again. Brennan thinks it's hilarious. Fucking head floating around him and he's got her on one phone and him on the other and his his secretary just bothering him about shit he already knows about for some reason it's like she's really trying to rub this shit in um and um he's like no absolutely not we're going to Willoughby <laughs> so he uh he heads home, and he's at Willoughby again. And uh, he gets off the train, and people are saying hi to him, and they're nice. He's pumped. 
Well, I'll, after. So, uh, the conductor, it turns out um, that he yelled something about Willoughby and then just jumped off the train and died. The, the, the conductor is talking about it with someone in... So it's one of those like, um, well, he, he dies and then he's put into a hearse and they close the, the door of the hearse and the name of the funeral home is Willoughby. Willoughby. And Sons. And Sons. And um, it's, it's, I think, a very interesting episode. See, my opinion is, yeah, that he's just a slower paced person. And the New York City kind of exact life isn't his deal. The daily grind. But, yeah. But also that it's, you know, the time period he's in and stuff. That's what you have to do. And I did find it very interesting because it's, I think, 1890-something, 8 or something like that in Willoughby. And, uh... And obviously for him, it's, you know, 1960. Um, and um, I do find it interesting that how people have this idealized view of the 50s and 60s now. And then seeing this and realizing that the people in the 50s and 60s had this idealized view of the turn of the century. The turn of the century. And those people probably, oh, actually, um, uh, interesting thing about H.P. Lovecraft is that he always saw himself as being a late 1700s person. Not going to get into why that probably is. Yeah. It probably has something to do with other you, people. You guys can do your research and um, look him up. He was an inappropriate man. Look up his cat's name. Um, so, yeah. Um, but I just... It is. It's a it's a very interesting episode. It I find it to not be. I I think of it as kind of a happy episode. I don't know why because it's not really that positive. Well, it's a very like stressful episode. Like, it is. You know, you're going through this guy and he's a push, 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 looking in the menu, like or looking in the menu, looking in the mirror, going ah. Like, you can feel his, like, anxiety in... My favorite part is when the secretary's like, Mr. Miserable wants you now. Yeah. And it's like, woman, you see me holding two phones at once, and I know for a fact you can hear at least one of these people screaming at me from where you're standing. Like, Like, the people on the phone don't know, but you have no excuse, back off right. like he can wait holy crap um push 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 but it and it does like the the change in in pace and like the the amount of like um anxiety between uh the the scenes in 1960s and then just how slow and mellow and peaceful willoughby feels it's it's just a very tangible difference in in the, the entire vibe of everything um, between those two scenes, which is great. Um, 
and, and I guess it's kind of happy for him. He he goes to Willoughby, which I I wonder if it's some kind of like afterlife heaven. heaven kind of thing, or if it's just some pipe dream that he had before yeah, he killed himself. I'm like I'm in that one. I feel like it it doesn't um, necessarily like some of the other ones, like the Gremlin. Um, there at twenty thousand feet. Yeah, it's. I feel they in their closing narration pretty much tell you now the thing's real. But this episode, it's very left up for interpretation. I always choose to to think of it as from his perspective, Willoughby's an actual place, and he's just there now, which seems like a very nice ending. And uh, yeah. Sure. Well done, episode. A stop at Willoughby, number six. All right. Yes. My number six, season five, episode blah blah blah. I was half hoping you were gonna say a stop at Willoughby. No, not yet. Um, but this is season five. This is one of the last episodes to be made. Uh, one fifty-two. Uh, episode thirty-two of season five, and this is. Um, called Mr. Garrity and the Graves. Uh, this is one that it's also set at the turn of the century, uh, 1890. And this guy, he, uh, he's basically a traveling snake oil salesman, you know. He, uh, shows up to this place called Happiness, Arizona, which is pretty ironic. And, uh... At least it's a dry heat. Right, and it basically only takes place in this bar, and, um, you know, he's like, yo, I can bring your loved ones back from the dead, and they're like, bullshit, he's like, you don't believe me, then, uh, he, you know, this dog gets hit by a uh, cart, and, uh, he's like, check this out, and then the dog comes back to life, he's like, so... Do you believe me now? And they're like, fuck. Um, I guess. So, they're like, okay, you know what? Let's give you some money. And uh, he's like, okay. Sweet deal. He's like, baba booey, baba booey. All right, you guys, all your loved ones are alive now. You know, they will come back to life. Uh, And then... They're like, you know what? We didn't really like the people that died. Uh, we want them dead. They're better off. Yeah, I don't know why we why we wanted them alive in the first place. So uh, he's like, you know what? Give me double what you paid me to bring him back to life and I'll kill him. And, you know, they're like, okay. So he swindles these motherfuckers out of their money. Uh, drives away. And this is like a simple episode. There's really not much, you know, um, not much to say. It's pretty much a beginning, middle, end. It's really clear and cut. And, yeah. Um, <clears throat> then all of a sudden, uh, him and his partner, they're like, you know what? It's fun. This is fun acting. You know, we like to fuck with these people. Uh, you find out that the dog you brought back to life is just trained to play dead. And right. It was his dog. It was all, time. yeah. That's the twist. A <laughs> sham of 
Like, just so he can extort people. Right. Make some big money. Him and his acting buddy. So, um, you know, after they leave the town, what happens? Uh, the people that were supposedly brought to life, brought back to life and then killed again, get out of the graveyard. And they all... JK, he's a dank necromancer. Right. And, uh, and the guy's like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get my revenge. And everybody just wants their revenge. Uh, the brother of the bartender's like, yo, man, that's my money. The bad guy's like, I'm gonna get the cops. And then the uh, wife of the one guy's like, oh, I got an arm to break, motherfucker. And, uh. It's go time. Yeah, it, you know, it's creepy. Like, the <laughs> ending is fucking creepy. But, uh, what a great friggin', uh, what a great episode. Like, this one, this one stuck with me, and I've probably seen it, uh, five or six times now. Mr. Garrity and the Graves. Number six. Now we're at the top five. We are, uh, at the two hour mark now. And, uh. Oh, jeez. Oh, yeah. This is a good episode, though. People I... are going to like this. Uh, I feel bad that I have subjected you to two hours of my voice. Um, please forgive me. No, not at all. This is good. Uh, we own, we, we've been Jeremy list for a few months. Yeah. So this is good. And they're, they're going to be pumped at it to have to be Jeremy list again after listening to hours of my droning voice. Ah, great. Um, Jeremy. <laughs> so what's your number five? So my number five this is another one of, like, I, I feel like the really up-there classic episodes. Um, it is The Monsters Are Due on Maple Street. Season 1, episode 22. Uh, this is um, more or less a very simple episode um, that takes place on Maple Street. there's these um, people that the people living on the street a meteor goes overhead and it knocks out all the electricity and um, they everybody goes into they start getting paranoid Um, they're talking about like finding out who else has power and what happened and they start sending people places and they just keep getting more and more paranoid and um it's they they end up starting to think that that it's it's like an alien invasion or something and they um very chicken littleish yeah and they they go they just get full on paranoid um and they, uh, like, a, a guy owns a radio, so they're like, oh, he's in on it. He's talking to the people, um, all this kind of stuff. And um, there's someone with a hammer, and they end up getting shot. And um, basically, um, the lights start going crazy again. All hell breaks loose. The big twist, while these people go from just being like, huh, that's weird, pairs out, to them gradually becoming more and more and more paranoid and people getting killed, 
is you see on um, like a hill or something nearby that the the street um, there's aliens standing there. Real aliens. They were right. Actual aliens, and they start talking to each other, and they they talk about how to invade Earth. All they have to do is shut off a couple lights and let people's own paranoia take over and do all the work for them. And I love it as a, I feel, very obvious comparison to, uh, it's like the Crucible, it's just very much the Red Scare um, kind of... Witch hunt. Uh, yeah, witch hunt kind of thing. And, um, I, I mean, it's, I feel like any any discussion about um, the Twilight Zone at some point gets inherently political. Rod Serling was um, a very political person. As I, I mean, not a lot of my favorite episodes, but some of my most favorite episodes are, are um, very political, and this is one of them. Um, but, you know, there's other ones... Um, what is it? Death's head revisited and stuff. He, he he has opinions. Damn it! And you're gonna hear them. Um, oh yeah. But it wasn't every episode, but it was a lot of episodes, and and they make you think. I think this is one of the most um, well done of the very political ones, and it is just a easily one of the the best done episodes in, in this series. I, I, I get why it's... Great acting. Yeah, it is. And it's fantastically written. Um, it's... I, I kind of rushed through the, the description because it's it's hard to... You can't really explain how the, the paranoia builds because a lot of it is seeing how... The, the acting really carries it and um, you can just see the paranoia and tension and stuff build and build and build which is it, there's a quite a few episodes that do that really and people well. get capped yeah but this one I think is is definitely one of the, the probably I think one of the best if not the best episodes really showing like that just increasing tension, paranoia, the mob mentality, and the, the witch hunt kind of thing, it, it nails it. Oh, yeah. Um, <clears throat> so that's number five? That was my five. My number five is season two, episode... Season 2, Episode 7, or the 43rd episode. Also starring William Shatner himself, Nick of Time. And, uh, spoiler alert, he uses some language that uh, we don't use today. uh, We try not to use uh, certain R words, but um, he says it. And uh, that's all I'm going to say about that. Anyways, um... William Shatner and his his, uh, newlywed wife, Pat, Don and Pat, go down to Ohio. Uh, And they're on their way to New York for their honeymoon. 
and they stop by this little cafe, uh, you know, because they're waiting for their car to get fixed. And, you know, you don't really see anything until uh, until they find this damn fortune machine, which is just an napkin holder, or is it? It just starts off very slow, not in a, a bad way, but every friggin' Shatner episode is a gem. Oh, God, yeah. He, he acts <laughs> the fuck out of me. So... Uh, you know the the freaking uh, waiter, the old man at the cafe is like, "Yo, man, you gotta try my fucking sandwich." And he's like, "No, we don't want your shit." What? Well, was, was it, it the steak? It was the fried, the chicken fried steak. Yeah, I think that's what it, he was. He's obsessed with it. He's really trying to push those specials. Gordon Ramsay would be proud. Oh yeah, he's like, "Yo, man, you gotta try this." And, and Chandler's like, "Fuck off! I want the sandwich." <laughs> so. Oh, the uh, the LT. That's right. BL, that's right. It's a BLT. They they both order um, a lettuce and tomato sandwich with mayo, and it's like... No bacon. What the fuck? What are you even eating? Like, that's not a meal. That's just a salad on white bread, you psycho. Right. Uh, and, you you know, that sounds like the worst part of the episode, but it's <laughs> it only gets better. Um so this fucking fortune telling machine, it's got like a devil face and he's like sticking his tongue out and he's winking at you and uh, you're like, yo, uh, every time uh, you ask it a question, you pop a penny in. Now in the 60s, a penny was worth like 20 bucks. So <laughs> yeah, right. No, I'm kidding. But uh, yeah, this shit wasn't cheap. And uh, I did figure out how much it was. It was actually more than it should be. I was like, that's pretty fucked up. Right. And, uh, you know, he's like, hey, let's ask it a question. And he's like, hey, am I going to get my promotion? And the thing's like, it's been decided in your favor. And this this fucking machine doesn't like to be like yes or no. No, it likes to be fucking uh, mystical and be like, "Uh, maybe. Cryptic. What do you think? Cryptic damn machine. And and it's great because William Shatner's character just becomes so... fucking fixated on every answer and he's like he's like a very superstitious person he's got like a, a rabbit's foot on his keychain and um a horse's head in his bed <laughs> like he uh he does a thing I don't, I don't know if you've ever heard of it but um when you're holding hands with someone and you're gonna go different ways around uh like a lamp post or something you're supposed to say bread and butter it's bad luck if you don't. He does that. Um, there's there's a couple other things that he does. But he is a, a very clearly like superstitious person. So he, um, you know, he asks this thing and the wife's like, yo, dude, we need to get the fuck out. <laughs> like, we need to go leave this cafe. This is stupid. You're just falling for this damn penny machine. And he's like, ah, I guess. So he asks the thing. He's like, are we safe? Uh, do you know is something bad gonna happen to us if we if we don't like if we leave and the things like you may you may you know find out so um, he runs across the street and pushes his wife and him in front of this truck <laughs> which then he immediately pulls her out of the way and he's like I saved you and it's like right but if you didn't push me in this street in the fair well he he there's this truck barreling down the road and he's holding her hand and he's like, we can make it. And then starts running and it's like, no, you can't. 
Um, you dumb motherfucker. Uh, and, uh, and then she... And then know, he rescues her. And which, she, normally, like, anybody else with a rational fucking brain would have been like, you fucking asshole, you nearly killed us. And she's just like, you saved me. Yeah. <laughs> she's hilarious. Oh, I, I, I cut you off before... So oh, you're good. Forgot to mention, but um, when he he asked about the job promotion and it said it has been decided in your favor, he he called to check on it and they were like, "Oh yeah, you got the job." And so you know, his mind reinforced his crazy superstition with this damn machine. And now he's the uh, New York's youngest office manager. And yes. And now he's trying to push his wife into traffic, which is what I'd expect from New York's youngest office manager. Right. Um, <laughs> so, um... Because that's more 80s American psycho, but, you know, details. Right. And, you know, after the near-death experience, he's like, hey, let's go back to the cafe. Yes. Let's go talk to the fucking penny machine again. And he orders some ice cream and gets some iced coffee and, uh... You didn't know that they used to have iced coffee back in the day. Yeah, well, yeah, that is one of the things I thought was weird. I'm like, it never occurred to me that they, like, I, I didn't think it was impossible, obviously, to do iced coffee back then. It just, it's literally the only old thing I've ever seen where someone's like, yo, iced coffee. Also the fact, also the fact that the sandwiches they ordered, which maybe it's because they had no meat, because they're stupid, but uh, the sandwiches were like thirty cents or something like that. The iced coffees were a buck. Yeah, it was like or it was or sixty cents. Or something. It was more than that. I think it was like a buck ten or a buck twenty or something like that. And I'm like, what the what the hell is going on? <laughs> that it's like three times the cost of the food, four times the cost of the food, which I thought was also bizarre everything about these people is just strange they they make weird choices especially with what they eat lettuce and tomato get the hell out of here but anyway so they go back and uh and he's like okay this is you know time to fucking ask it all these things can I have something to eat? It's like the episode of Spongebob with Magic Conch Shell. Uh, I know you haven't seen that, but um, the Gregheads know what I'm talking about. And uh, so, you know, the wife is finally like, listen, man, I'm begging you. I'm begging you on my hands and knees. I'm like, please leave this fucking machine. Have faith in us. Have faith in the future. Don't, don't live by a machine. And he's like, you know what, honey? You're right. And they get up and they get out of the fucking cafe and then walks another couple who are like, okay, maybe we can ask the machine some questions today. And they're like, will we ever make it out of this town? <laughs> and to me, that's the funniest fucking ending for yeah. a Twilight Zone episode. Because it's, it's the other, the what if, what if he let himself get enslaved? But because they ask it, will we leave today? And it says... Um, you may never know. You may never know, or um, or no, no. That's what it was. Uh, they ask if they'll leave, and it says, well, basically no. Well, it says, but it says something like seems unlikely, and then, right. um, 
they ask when can we leave and it says you may never know and the whole thing is like you can leave whenever you want but you're never going to because you're too afraid because I said you might not and that is a it's interesting getting to see the just the quick what what if uh what if you'd listen to the machine well you'd get trapped right and uh it's a funny episode like to me it's a funny episode you know it is a very good one and that brings us to episode four um so my number four is a world of his own season one episode 36 and this is um i really like this one for quite a few reasons i i like the the concept um to start off with which is there's this guy who's who's a a playwright he's a writer a playwright yeah and his um wife catches him with uh, he's in another room talking to a a uh another woman and um but she hears them and then you see him throw a tape uh in his fireplace and then she comes in and there's no woman in there it's like what where'd she go and um She's trying to figure out, and she confronts him, you're cheating on me kind of thing, and he's like, "No." all right, well, I have to explain this to you now. And he explains that he's basically such a, he, he has this ability where he can, by describing a character in enough detail on his, his recorder, that he can make them real. They, they become an actual person. Um, he, he found this out because he, he had um, talked some character that he had made into existence. And he was like, oh shit, I can just make anyone. And what's more is she is one of his characters. Um, his, his, his wife is a character that he designed. He basically just designed his wife. Um, but that recently she's been getting kind of crazy, crazy, but in crazy, but kind of independent of, of like the, the thing that he originally created. So he's created another woman, um, to, um, be with who's not being nutty um and she they go back and forth she says he's a liar and he's like no 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 and she's like uh he he she shows her he creates um this other woman and um it's like boom look i just did it and then he throws the tape in the fire and uncreates her again. And um, she still doesn't believe him because... Apparently. The power of delusion with this woman is just fantastic. Mm-hmm. Honestly, at this point, it's like you literally just saw him speak someone into exi- like, existence and then uh, vanish them into the thinner. I... 
a pen and teller would have been like, yeah, you got me. And this woman's like, uh-uh-uh, I know this is a trick somehow. And it's like, what? I just showed you. And then her tape, blah, 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 her tape gets thrown into the fire. She disappears from existence. What happens? Um, she tries to, like, escape? Oh, yes, yes. And so what does he do? Um, he, uh, he creates an, a, an elephant in front of the the door so that she can't escape. And then she throws a tape in the fire. She's uncreated. And, um, then he's like, oh, well, that sucks. Um, she, as she's disappearing, she's like, oh shit, you were right. And it's like, yeah, no shit. Um, and so he he goes to the machine and he starts to redescribe his wife, and then he's like, "It's the first." Hold one. on a second. So he starts recreating the other woman, the new one he made. So he just drops the first one entirely, um, and my. That seems like that right there would be a good episode. It's it's a very interesting premise, and it's executed well, even if she is just the most delusional woman ever. Um, and it's funny, and they kind of have fun with it. But that's not even the best part of this episode. There's, like, another twist after that, and it's fantastic i love it because it it, that that's why this is so highly rated with me is it's fourth wall breaking rod serling starts doing his um closing narration and um he rod serling says uh here i got it right here he says we hope you enjoyed tonight's romantic story on the twilight zone at the same time we want you to realize that it was of course purely fictional In real life, such ridiculous nonsense could never... And then the man interrupts him and says, Hey, you shouldn't say things like it's nonsense or ridiculous. And then throws an envelope labeled Rod Serling into the fire. And he's just like, well, that's the way it goes. Fucking way she goes. he disappears. And I I love that they break the fourth wall... By having this man uncreate Rod Serling, I think it's the funniest goddamn thing. Very meta. It's fantastic. The, the whole episode is just a very weird, quirky, fun episode. And that is just like, like you would have had me without that. But damn it, this that is why it is number four is literally that scene. It's just so great i mean between the elephant in the room and (laughs) yeah oh man good shit uh for me number four what do you think it is jeremy is is this a stop at willoughby no this is nightmare at twenty thousand feet oh okay um so that's back-to-back shatner if anybody's paying attention um the Shat Man comes back. And, <laughs> the Shat uh, Man. You know, everybody, everybody loves him. He's, <laughs> he did he's shit fucking himself hilarious. In 
Like, this dude is just wacky. He's wacky. He's out of his fucking mind. He's going on this plane. He's like, all right, everything's okay. And the wife's like, dude, just fucking take a nap. Like, chill. Don't look out the window. Just eat the fucking online or the airline peanuts. And, you know, drink a cocktail. And so instead, he's like, hey, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to look out the window. Right. And I'm just going to keep looking out the window. And every fucking time, he's got that gremlin. And the gremlin's fucking doing something else. He's looking in the window. He's ripping the fucking wing off. He's dancing around. He's jumping off the fucking plane. You know what scene I forgot about when we were talking about this before that I I also love is when she calls the pilot. I think it's like the, the co-pilot over or whatever. No, 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 the ship, ship mechanic. Or the ship plane mechanic, and um, the um, he's telling them about the gremlin on the plane, and the pilots or the mechanics like, yeah, we know, we know he's out there. We just want to keep it quiet so we don't freak out any of the the passengers. So if you want to just keep it on the down, keep it on the down low. We're trying to take care of it. And then, and Shatner's buying into it, and he's like, oh, oh, I see, you bastards, you patronizing fuck. And that that is a funny thing, that the mechanic's just like, no, it's okay, crazy pants, it's, we're good. Yeah, we're on it. Trust us. <laughs> but he doesn't. No, yeah. instead he goes and steals the cop's gun, and then he fucking opens up the emergency exit in mid-flight. How could it go wrong? It's right. a foolproof plan. As he's fucking hanging on to the fucking exit door, shooting blindly just, into space. And just the mechanics of that are so ridiculous. Like, the wind speed. The pressure. You... To be able to hit something, like, in, unless he shot this thing, like, Point you blank, know, like, right in the face, right. like, contact. Yeah, none of it's... Which is, I mean, the least ludicrous thing about the outfit. The bullet trajectory just, would have been way off. Yeah. Um, just, yeah. <laughs> we, but we're not ballistic experts here, we're just, you know... Wow. would have... Maybe. It would have had to be as magic as the the bullet that killed Kennedy. <laughs> but um, it's just, what a freaking funny episode. Uh, if you haven't seen it, go watch it. Um, and For real, this is two endorsements for it. It is just such a... It's not even scary. It's, no, it's more just like 20 minutes know. of comedy. It just... Disguised as a horror. Unintentionally, which is what makes it so great. If you've ever seen The Room, or you or um, Troll 2, or your, that, that genre of things where it's so bad that it's good, it just... It's just so over the top. It's so ridiculous. It's... And, you know, that's why Shatner pretty much is the man we own today. Uh... Which is shocking that they watched it and they were like, hey, this guy's a good actor. Right. Like, okay, bud. No, he had, you know, he had those handsome good looks and uh, he was charming as fuck. And I, you know, that, that goes a long way. I mean, he definitely played a crazy dude really friggin' great. So. And his face is Michael Myers. 
So. Did what? The Shatner mask. They spray painted it white. And that's Wait, Michael Myers really? Mask. Yeah, 100%. Son of a bitch. I am learning so much shit. But, uh, I did not know that. But yeah, I mean, we pretty much covered the entire episode. And uh, go check it out. Yeah. Uh, number three. Alright, my number three is The Brain Center at Whipples, um, Season 5, Episode 33. I, I, um, the first time I ever saw this, I was like, I love this episode. Um, this is another one that I feel like is kind of political, in a way. Um, and, well, um... I, but I read the synopsis for it, and I was still kind of fuzzy on some of the details. So I, I rewatched it um, just before coming here tonight. So, um, and I do love this episode. So this man, um, Whipple, the owner of the Mr. Uh, eponymously named um, company, has a video that he's showing someone. For a, a new machine, and um, that's going to lead to like a huge amount of layoffs. Huge, I think it was like sixty-one thousand or something. Um, and um, he's showing it to the the basically the second command at this midwestern facility that he works at, and the guy's very much against it because he's like, "You're putting all those people out of jobs just to save money." Um, think of the people. Like, yeah, think of the people. And he's like, mm, no. And so he uses that machine. He cuts a bunch of people. This guy gets drunk and mad because he's been fired for a machine. And he comes back and he's, he hits it with a crowbar. And he ends up, Whipple ends up shooting him. Um, which I guess they decide is self-defense because he doesn't go to prison even though he literally takes the cop's gun to shoot this guy. And, um, it's an, it's an interesting scene because he shoots the guy and, um, the guy says to the, the machine that, um, see you couldn't beat me, it, it took a man to beat me, um, and then you think he dies, but it says he's in the hospital and he's going to recover and everything, which is nice. But I feel like they just did that because they felt bad murdering this dude who lost his job already. Um, but anyway, <clears throat> so Whipple makes another machine. Yeah, or buys another machine, probably. And um, he uh, he's talking to the man... His name is Hanley, who he talked to before about the, the machine. And um, he's like, oh, yeah, it's going to oversee all the other stuff in the factory. It's it's perfect. And he's like, yeah, and how many jobs is that going to replace? And he's like, oh, just one. Yours, Mr. Hanley. Total douche move. Dun, dun, dun. Um, and Hanley's like, good, because I came here to quit. So uh, piss off. <laughs> and uh, he's like, don't worry, I'm going to give you a great pension and benefits, whatever, all this. And Hanley's like, uh, counter-offer, slaps him in the face, and he's like, um, basically pound sand. 
Um, yeah, he rather quit with his hands clean, not taking any of Whipple's money. And Whipple's like, fine, dick, piss off. Um, and then he has it, it has a scene where he's every time he flicks a switch. Like, the cafeteria goes to empty because all those people got fired. And the parking lot's empty because all those people were fired. And there's a um, technician who services the machines. And he just has this guy constantly running diagnostics on everything um, to a degree that the guy straight up tells him, this is stupid and ridiculous how much you're having me do this. Um, And he's like, cool because i got a machine to replace you so uh you know what you're fired too and the guy's like good he my favorite part of that though is he refers to um maternity as an inconvenience which uh really takes the is the icing on the douche cake that he is he's very mr burns-esque he is he's um very jeff bezos-esque um, or, um, Brent, Mr. Burns asks, <laughs> he is the epitome of a shithead, um, kind of just evil boss type per- well, but, uh, he ends up firing everyone, but then he, so the scene switches over. Oh, uh, the machines go haywire, and they, they start saying all these things that people had said about him, about how, like, his lack of humanity and stuff, and just trying to do everything efficiently. And um, <clears throat> the scene changes, and um, he's in the bar that Mr. Hanley's in, the, the kind of supervisor that he had fired who slapped him. And uh, he's going off about how they fired me and I can't believe this shit. And, um, like, people have value and stuff like that. And it's like... The irony. Now that that it affects you, now it matters, you dick. But also, at least he kind of finally saw that is is the idea. And um, that's the idea. It goes the big twist... It goes to his office. He does this thing the whole episode. I, I sh- should mention this, uh, where he takes the. He's got keys, um, chained to his his pocket, and he kind of stands there and spins them around, and then um, puts them back in his pocket and spins them around. It's just kind of like a little thing he does, like a boss move. You've seen yeah, yeah, and. Um, Who's doing it now? So it goes to the office, and who's doing it now? A friggin' robot. He Not only his... a friggin' robot, but Robbie the Robot from Forbidden Planet. It's an oh. old science fiction movie. And uh, it friggin'... A fantastic reference. Yeah, he was in uh, a bunch of different old movies. Uh, the Invisible Boy, um... Uh, Forbidden Planet, The Thin Man, Columbo, Adam's Family, Lost in Space. Um, He was the friggin', he was the robot. Um, but Robbie the robot, that son of a bitch, had replaced him at his own job. And I, I just, I think this one's interesting. Um, 
because I do think it's, I find it interesting, I think, because automation is something that, that killed a lot of manufacturing jobs, but also I find it interesting that I'm politically agree and disagree with both sides of the episode at the same time. I think they both have valid points. I um, I think efficiency is a good thing. Um, minimizing humans, um, but at the same time that people have inherent value. Um, there's this quote, I wish I could find who said it, that I read once, um, one of my friends shared, and I, I, I think it it sums up perfectly, which is the issue is not automation. It's that people are forced to compete with automation um, instead of being freed by it. And I, I do think that this episode really hits that, like, people have inherent value. Um, but I do also think that the, the meaning of life isn't necessarily... Um, labor into work in that it's okay if automation puts 60,000 people out of a job if it's freeing them from a job and their needs are still being met and all that thing and then they can pursue the things that they uh, want to do Mr. Hanley is talking about in the bar how he kind of enjoys um sleeping in late like he finds it kind of nice and his wife says that he's too underfoot but he he's enjoying spending more time with her and I I think it's one of those things where um I I feel like Rod Serling was he, he was very much a progressive of his day and um it's interesting to see how at least I think that it's it's changed even since then the concept that like you know what if what if we did have robots do all these jobs would it really be so bad if everyone was taken care of and especially now but Wally. anyway that gets into yes Wally I mean yeah Wally gets kind of on the other end too it's like what if we became a society that was freed by automation and decided we didn't want to do anything instead of we could do anything we wanted. Right, and our um, bones become jelly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it is a philosophically and ethically and morally and politically interesting episode. Like, there are a lot of different ways to look at it. Um, Whipple is a massive douche. Um, he, like I said, he sounds like any any big corporate modern CEO of like um, trying to screw people out of you know when when they try and screw people out of benefits or whatever. People complain about stuff like that and. Um, but then also at the same time, it's like that literally is his job is to be as efficient as possible and cut as many costs as possible. I, it's, a, it's a very fascinating episode as far as that. 
like I could do an entire thing about this one episode, I feel like. Um, but that is a massive rabbit hole to jump in. Um, but yeah, that is that is why that is my third favorite. Excellent, excellent. <laughs> my number third favorite is one we haven't talked about yet. It's uh, the shelter, and this is oh. season three. Um, episode three, uh, the 68th episode overall. And we watched this one last, uh, like two, three days ago. Yeah. Um, and this is one that, uh, everybody, uh, you know, if you've seen it, you know it, you love it. Um, Grandpa Joe from Willy Wonka, the Chocolate Factory is in it. I never realized that was him. Like when you said it, like the voice is exactly the same. Right. It just seemed so obvious, but it's something I never noticed until you said something because he looks so different with he more hair and no mustache, yeah, right. and no coke now. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, go check out on Facebook. Uh, we have a disdain for Grandpa Joe. Uh, it's a group on Facebook. It's fucking hilarious. All they do is post anti-Grandpa Joe memes from Willy Wonka. Yeah. But uh, anyways. You know, it starts out, there's this birthday party for this doctor, and everybody's like, God, yeah, happy birthday, motherfucker, and, you know, they eat the cake, and what does the cake say? Oh. Birth doc or something. Yeah, yeah, it's cut off by someone's, uh, like, you can only see part of it, and it looks like it says birth doc, so I made the joke that they misspelled it, it's birthday, not birth doc. Right, great joke. Um... (laughs) I hope and that was sarcasm. No, no, I, I did appreciate it. I'm just exhausted. I'm, terrible joke. No, my brain's terrible. mush right now. Um, the Greg heads laughed. I, I heard them. Um, They're all drunk right now. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then, um, you know, after this birthday, all of a sudden, fucking some asshole on the radio is like, yo, shit's going down. It's code blue or code red or whatever. So go get your shit and hide your kids, hide your wife. Uh going to the fallout shelter and there's uh, gonna be a nuclear war tonight right so they're like oh shit well good thing that only the doctor has one and everybody else at the party's fucked so um these motherfuckers are all like going down to the doctor's uh place and they're like please motherfucker let me in and he's like you ain't coming in and every single one of them they're like please let me in he's like no 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 you're not coming in it's like a fucking closet this room's like I think he says it's 10 by 10 but it looks more like it's like 6 by 6 like my bedroom was bigger yeah <laughs> it was a tiny ass room and uh and you know every single one of these people that were just at the birthday are now like up this guy's ass and they're like I got a wife I got a kid you know let me in and the guy's like uh 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 we ain't letting you in and then uh they're like, all right, you're not letting us in? Well, then nobody gets in. We're going to get a battering ram. And Grandpa Joe's fucking ramming the battering ram at the door. And uh, by the time they break into the door, the radio's like, ah, just kidding. Everything's fine. Yeah. They're just satellites. Nobody's in danger. And uh, at the end of it, they're like, ha, 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 yeah, hey. we're just kidding. Um, well, this is awkward. Right. Block party, maybe? Yeah, we'll uh, we'll pay for that door. We'll, we'll get an old, you know, bake sale or some mm-hmm. shit. We were just going to break into your shelter and murder your family and take all your shit. Like, God, 
I mean, are you going to be mad forever about it? <laughs> like, what? It's been five minutes. You need to chill out, buddy. <laughs> um, so, um, you know, it's a, it's a fun, like, it's not really a funny episode, but, um, like, the, the, you know. Yeah. It's, it's not supposed to be funny, but it ends up being funny just how fucking maniacal these people uh, are acting. Just the idea that, like, Okay, you can't go in because the air filter can only filter enough air for three people. There's only enough supplies for three people for two weeks, and it's him, his wife, and his son. And then all these people are like, but you gotta let me in too. And it's like, but but then there's four dead people instead of three living ones. Right. And then they're like, oh, I know. Let's, <laughs> let's bust the door down, and then we can all die. Like, what? You dumb dick. Um, <laughs> yeah. No kid. Like, um, why kill everyone? You know, but it is think. the another very much a mob mentality kind of episode that and is one of the main themes. And they are very pathetic in their attempts to like ask him to get in. It's funny. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that's that's number three, the shelter. Uh, so now we're down to the top two. <laughs> All right, my number two. See, I go back and forth on these, but today I've decided number two is The Night of the Meek. The Night of the Living Meek. Season two, season two episode 11, and I love this episode. It's another one of the sentimental ones. Or um, Carney from The Honeymooners. I, yes. Ed Norton. Um... Not to be confused with the actor. I was going to say. Um, so, uh, just uh, the, so the, the idea of this episode is this, there's this guy, Henry Corwin, who is a, um, a Macy's Santa. Right. And um, It's almost like the, the precursor to bad Santa. I, I was going to say Miracle on 34th Street. Right. Also, he's the um, just drunk as fuck Santa, um, and he he goes. He's it. It starts off l- literally with him um, at a bar, like being drunk, and then heading to his job at like the Macy's <laughs> or whatever the fuck. Like this dude shows up loaded an hour late. Um, an hour late. And, and just very clearly drunk. So, a bunch of people complain because no shit. Like, obviously you can't show up to be Santa just 200% hammered. Um, and um, he gets fired because, like I just said, you can't be yeah, just fucked up santa um and he says that he's um i I like this quote that he drinks because he lives in a dirty rooming house on a street filled with hungry kids and shabby people and that um the reason he pretends to be santa is because he he'd like to see the meek inherit the earth and so still in his outfit so he goes to the bar and they don't let him back in because dude's drunk as shit. Still. 
and he wanders into an alley and he hears this jingling sound and he sees a burlap bag that had cans in it and he trips on it and then he looks back and it's got packages coming out of it and um, he starts giving them away and he realizes that anything someone asks for he can pull out of the bag so he's going up to all the kids and he's asking them what they want for Christmas and they tell him and he takes it out of the bag it's in it's just it's in the bag um what do you want for christmas billy a fat ass (laughs) you got it (laughs) fat one um i'll i'll smoke it with you buddy um so anyway um there's cops involved they uh they take the bag he's they're like Hey, hey, you stole all these presents from the, the Macy's or whatever the fuck you were working on. He's like, no, 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 I, I didn't. And look at the bag. And they look at the bag and it's full of garbage. And they're like, what the fuck is this? And he's like, it's magic. Um, <clears throat> so he uh, he takes the bag back and he's like, what, what, did you, what would you want for Christmas if you could have anything? And the, the jerk boss from Macy's... Um, Tells him something insanely specific. It's this kind of wine, a vintage 1903 cherry brandy, um, and he hands him the exact thing. And then at midnight, the bag's empty. So <clears throat> he uh, he goes back out and he's like, I, "I wish I could do this every year." And um, He goes back to the alley, and there's an elf sitting on a sleigh with reindeer. No shit. And, um, he is now Santa Claus. The elf is like, yo, we need to get back to work to be ready for next year. He is now the real, legit Santa. And, um... Which explains a lot. Yeah. You know. <laughs> it does. Now. No, I'm kidding. But I I think I I like this episode because um I can kind of not necessarily to to the extent but I can identify with how um Henry feels. Like I, I get that feeling of how he looks at the entire world all at once and he's like this whole thing is fucked and there's nothing I can do about it to make it better and it just causes this just terrible miserable depression in him um and I don't I th- I think that makes him an oddly good person even if he's simultaneously kind of shitty for being a drunk off is as Santa like it's it's literally the he cares too much thing and uh, I think that it's I like the idea that he he gets put in this position where he can actually do something to kind of make things a little less shitty 
and jumps at the chance and it's just a very nice sentimental episode but it's also very funny and in the Twilight Zone fashion very weird and but I, I just think it is a very nice take on um a Christmas episode which is not something I'd expect from the Twilight the Twilight Zone um but it, it's it's one of my favorite things to watch around Christmas actually because I, I just think it's um captures what I think at least is the important part of the, the whole spirit of giving kind of thing um but yes it is my second favorite today right um, that's funny yeah the next, they flop back and forth the next time I watch it it'll be my favorite so <laughs> for me um my number two is the one that you have been waiting for this whole time I stop, stop at Willoughby, at Willoughby. um yep. While you see it as a like happy like ending almost for this guy, uh, it depresses the fuck out of me. Uh, Brennan and I watched it, and I was like, Brennan, this is one you have to watch. And, you know, coming into it, Brennan's like, oh, this is fucking hilarious. The fat guy, push, 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 push. Um, but, like, throughout it, you know, the man yearns for a simpler time and a simpler life, and his wife is just so um, cold yeah. and unfeeling towards him. And uh, she's like, you need to grow up. And, and unsupportive. Right. There's, yeah, absolutely just, you know, she's as much of the bad guy as his boss is. Absolutely. And, um, you know, by the end of it, like, he literally just can't take his life anymore. He's so overwhelmed through from the anxiety and the stress of having to produce. And, uh, you know, it kills him. It eventually kills him. And Or does it? Uh, you know. Well, I, f- I feel like that part's not up for interpretation. <laughs> right. <laughs> he he did. Like, um, it just makes me so fucking sad. I um, I can see that now. And I don't think of myself as being overly optimistic, but I do definitely look at this one. I feel like. In an ideal sense, you know, for the guy's character, you hope that he yeah. goes off to Willoughby whatever it is in his mind you know we all have a Willoughby once again he's definitely going to Willoughby it's just not a <laughs> and sons um, it's yes a, it's a funeral home not not heaven but it's like that that happy place kind of thing like, like in Happy Gilmore um, I was well different but for some reason uh, what the first thing that popped in my head when I said that was um office space the guy who who um burns down the office and he's in like the bahamas or whatever and i'm like um except you know he actually went to the bahamas don't touch my sibling yeah not Um, going insane what what does willoughby look like for jeremy what's what's your willoughby Uh, oh that is tough see (laughs) That could also be an entire episode. Um, it's it's tough because in my head, I, um, I'm always so wrapped up in... I have a bunch of hobbies. I'm into a ton of games. I did the, the games episode. Um, Check that out, guys. If you haven't heard that one, it's a good episode. And uh, 
kind of my those those things are my my um willoughbys my my hobbies the the I I get really into stuff with very deep world building and uh I can just um lose myself in like very the music deep worlds the moment. For, yes also that um but in like very deeply built worlds so um you know, I'll get very, very into, like, the uh, Magic the Gathering. I, I uh, about a year ago, I think, I um, re reread the entire Weatherlight Saga for Magic, which was, like, a almost 10-year arc. Um, or, no, 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 because it went from 2000, sorry, it was shorter than that, it was, like, four-year arc, something like that but a huge arc in the storyline and um i get really into that i get really into i'm into warhammer uh 40k which i can just i i just hyper focus on it it'll be like what i think about uh, i'm imagining myself in the universe and stuff when i'm like going to bed um and I feel like it's it's it kind of changes to whichever thing I'm I'm hyper focusing on at the time is mine. For me, my my Willoughby is uh, I don't know. Probably I wake up and have morning sex, and then uh, I go out and you know you go gamble and win. Kind of like in that one guy's, uh, but but uh, not all the time. But not all the time, right? Yeah, but but you know, and then um, I mean, you could do that in the Warhammer Forty K universe, <laughs> right? Just uh, mix those. No, um, what is it? What 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 uh, what else? And what then uh, you know, you go get some ice cream uh, with nuts, and then uh, and then you know. I don't know. You watch a good movie or, you know, TV show, maybe. Uh, kind of the same thing. Have like a rock concert. And just and then, a, uh, you go mm. home, have dinner, then you have sex again, then you fall asleep <laughs> with uh, you know the woman you love, and then uh, next day it's all the same shit over and over again. That's it's, why will it be? Uh, very. I feel like most people have like a very just mellow mindset. Not necessarily that there's, you know, not people who are like, oh, hey, my Willoughby would be um, freezing to death on the side of K2 or some <laughs> shit like that. Because evidently there's people who are like, yeah, I'm game. Um, yeah. And bless him. Honestly, that, that is one of the things that appeals to me about all my fantasy universes is traveling is expensive, but not in books. Um, and I would love to explore the world. Not maybe um, K2, but, you know, um, I it, I think it's just like in that episode. I think the real shame is that um, there's so much stress on people that they being able to have the life that people want is so difficult because people don't necessarily want a ton. Um, they just want to be able to 
relax sometimes and it seems like they should be able to do that. I don't know. We've got enough robots. I feel like we should be a little bit closer. Did you know in the 1800s they thought we, we'd be working like three hours a week oh, yeah. at this point? Some shit like that. Fascinating. Anyway, but yes, that is, it is a very good episode. Why Stop haven't you watched it yet? Unless you have, in which case just... Yeah. You get it. They yeah. get it. Uh, and that brings us to number one, <clears throat> Jeremy. Which my number one is, um, and I, I think it's my number one right now because I'm thinking about um, kind of gothic horror stuff right now, and this kind of has those vibes to me. It is The Howling Man. Season two? Season two, episode five. Did you notice something, Jeremy? Neither of us had a single season four episode on our list. Was that the one where all the episodes were like an hour long, or was that season three? Uh, that was season four, I believe. Um, I did notice that as I was making it. I noticed I, all of mine are from either one, two, or five, which I, I thought, I don't know what that says, but um, it is interesting. Um, and, I was picking up on that, too. Yeah, and and it's not to say that, you know, there's not good episodes in season three or four, or there's not more, there's very few episodes that, like, like I said before, that I would describe myself as not liking. I just have very definite favorites. And I, I mean, if we did this list a, a year from now, if I rewatched everything, I guarantee you my list would be different episodes different order I mean some would still be on there but it, it would look different um <clears throat> but um uh The Howling Man this one is such a cool episode um it hits a lot of stuff I really like it um it's creepy and in like a it's like a spooky kind of way and in a cult kind of way it's got um i i've always thought the 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 occult like if you've ever heard of um uh, john constantine from dc comics i can love that yes um there was also a tv show which was fantastic and so obviously canceled um but it's just a very I've always loved that vibe and I feel like this kind of has it and it's a it's an interesting story so this man very gothic it is it kind of it kind of gives me vibes of Dracula which I am evidently the only person on earth who likes that book if if you watch this too many diary entries and you enjoy the entire book um if you're watching uh, watching this listening to this and you read dracula and you enjoyed it uh let me know because there's like three of us out there evidently and everyone else hates it i think it's a fantastic story um i read it like three times i i love it but anyway this man david ellington is on a walking trip um, and this is importantly post-World War One, 
I, I think it it says I I've been using the the wiki kind of synopsis to to kind of have notes and uh, keep track of what I'm saying, Just names and stuff. So and it says it's 1925. So sure, it's Post 1925. World War I. So it's post World War One, but pre-World War II and not by a little bit. So, um, he's walking through Europe, doing a walking trip, and he gets caught in a storm. And he sees this little tiny monastery. And he heads to it, and, um, there's an order of, like, brothers there. And he knocks, and he asks for help, and they're like, uh, no. And he's like, well, I, I'm lost, and I need to stay somewhere, and uh, why can I stay with you? And, uh, they're like, um, okay, maybe, okay, let me go talk to someone, stay in this hallway, um, I'll be right back. And he goes off. And um, the guy, that David, hears howling and he's like, what the fuck is that? Um, and so this guy comes back. Tis the wind. And um, Ellington, yeah, Ellington asks him about the howling and he says that it's the wind. And they introduce David to this guy, Brother Jerome. Close um, to Jeremy. So close. Uh, if only my name wasn't so stupid, um, because there's no, there's no chance he ever would have had, there's never going to be another Jeremy, unless I have something to do about it. Anyway, um, so, um, he, uh, David tells Brother Jerome that he just, yo, I just want to stay here and hold out until the storm's over and get some food, and then I will peace. And, um, they're like, no. And he's like, you guys are dicks. Um, so he starts to go out, like, go to the door, and then he passes out. <clears throat> so, um... He wakes up and hears howling again. He, he's in the castle. Um, he wakes up and he hears her monastery or whatever. And he hears this howling. And he goes to investigate. And he finds a guy locked in a cell. And um, the guy's like, yo, these dudes are fucking nuts. Get me out of here. Um, like... He says all he did was he kissed someone and they locked him up and he was like, get me the fuck out of here. And uh, they beat me and they threw me in this cage and <clears throat> David is, they see him talking to the guy. Uh, Brother Jerome does. And he's like, um, yeah, don't do that. And <laughs> so they go back and forth and eventually, um, David convinces him to explain why they got a dude locked up in their their church, which is he's like it's um, Satan. Um, 
The oh the uh, the the bars of the cage, interestingly, are are made out of um, the 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 bars are like janky, um, but he doesn't escape, and he's like he asks him why, and he's like I I can't, you need to let me out. It's like a um, vampire; you have to let them in. Yeah. So he's the uh, brother Jerome says that it's the devil. And he was contained by their order, and that's why, um, like, he, he had come to this town to corrupt it, and they, they caught him. And that's why the world's been at peace for the past however many years. Um, it was because they caught the devil, and he's not causing shit to happen. <clears throat> and he, he's like... But bad stuff still happens, and he's like, right, well, the normal bad stuff. There's not, like, world wars and ginormous plagues and famines and stuff. It's, like, the normal evil that people are. He's not stirring the pot. And, uh, he's like, uh, yeah, okay. Um, so he waits for the guard to fall asleep, and he goes... And he releases the guy. Right. And the guy starts walking out of the monastery. And what does he do to the guy? And his, um... He, like, uh, he pins him. Yeah. Well, and, and he does, if I remember right, he beats the shit out of one of the, the monk guys. Which, um... Or they get in a fight or something. He takes the guy's staff or whatever and um, frees him. And then, yeah, he, he pins him. And um, by just by, like, waving his hand at him. And he's like, what the fuck? And he's walking away. And he he's walking behind these pillars. And every time he comes out from behind one of the... You see him come past one of the open spots behind the pillars, he turns into, like, stereotypical depiction of Satan with the... Horns um, and the tail. Presumably red costume. It's black and white, obviously. But, yeah, with the horns and the tail and the pitchfork and the whole bullshit. And then he disappears. And Brother Jerome's like, oh, God damn it. Um, and he it tells him that... The inability of man to recognize the devil for what he is has always been his um, great, well, man's greatest weakness. Um, and then it's it's David talking to you, and he's, or well, talking to you, but he's talking to someone else. He's now in the position that Brother Jerome was in, where he's explaining to someone else why there's this howling man in a cage that he. He had searched him down. He had been following him since World War II and the Korean War and the development of nuclear weapons. But finally he succeeded and he's trapped him in this room. And <clears throat> no matter what you do or how much this guy howls, you, you, you can't free him. And then she moves the staff. <laughs> Such a good episode. I just... The first time I saw it, I was like, yo, I hope he saves this guy. 
and I walked right the hell into it, and it is one of the very few times I did that watching this, not as a, as a, as a dig on the show, but, you know, like, there's so many references and stuff, but it is, um, and, you know, even things that aren't directly referenced to it are so similar that even if you haven't seen it before or seen a direct reference to it, you've probably seen something that's close enough that you'd figure it out. But I I did not. I don't know why I walked right into it. And it's just such a... It's just got such an interesting vibe to it, and it, I just love it. Just the kind of gothiciness to it, the the weird religious-y kind of horror aspect of it. It's fantastic. Excellent, excellent. That's but, the uh, Jeremy's all-time favorite for now. For Twilight now. Twilight Zone episode. Until the next time I watch Night of the Meek. Right. Um, I do just want to take a quick second and mention episode um, called 22. Uh, it's season 2, and I completely forgot to put it on my fucking list. I don't know why I didn't. But um, basically this uh, actress has this dream over and over again where she goes down to a hospital morgue, and the woman at the door says, Room for one more, honey. And then, uh, oh, I was wondering if this was going to be your number one because no, we were talking about this the no, other day. I love it, but um, I just I forgot <laughs> to put it on the goddamn list. <laughs> uh, it would it would have taken over one of the other ones, but it, it is what it is. Um, but go go watch that one because that that one's actually creepy as fuck, especially the it ending. Is. Uh, anyways, my number one, uh, you know. Jeremy, do you have any guesses to which Monopoly it might be? I don't know. Um, I, I was kind of thinking maybe 22 would be it. Because um, I was waiting for that one. And I can't think of what... It's a good life. It's a, Oh. See, this, on the other hand, possibly controversial opinion, is one of the episodes I can't stand... Season three because I want to shake that kid. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, I can see liking it for for exactly the reason I don't like it, um, or or not liking it for the exact reason you do like it. I assume. Um, but. Well. Uh, rest in peace, Cloris Leachman, who played uh, little Anthony's mother, and uh, she recently passed away. She was fantastic. But, um, you know, this is one of those episodes that it was one of the first episodes I saw as a kid. Um, Simpsons parodied it in uh, uh, Treehouse of Horror, and, uh, you know, you've seen it everywhere. Uh, it was one of the segments in the film. Um, they had continuations of it. Uh, in the reboots of the Twilight Zone over the years. Um, and it seems to be one of those that just, you know, for me, it's it's the epitome of the Twilight Zone. It's what the show is all about, uh, in essence. And, um, you know, a mix of supernatural, a little bit of comedy, uh, depending on the perspective, um, terror, and uh, thought, thought provocation. And 
this uh, little town, Peaksville, Ohio. Um, for some weird reason, they were obsessed with Ohio too, Pennsylvania and Ohio. And there's the Twilight a, Zone. a couple states that they always show up in, and I'm like, man, I do not want to go to these states. Right? Fucked up shit happens. It's like the Bermuda Triangle of the United States. Yeah, no kidding. And uh, you know, <laughs> this kid—he's basically like a monster. But if you say that, he'll kill you. Well, he'll send you to the cornfield, mm-hmm. which means probably like purgatory. And this kid has just magic powers, and he, you know, snap of a finger. If you're not thinking good, positive thoughts about him, that's when he gets you. And uh, basically, the world has been reduced to a uh, very, very small amount of things. If something pisses him off, he gets rid of it. And, uh, you know, ah, uh, cheese. I don't like fucking cheese. Fuck cheese. Sends it off to the cornfield, never to be seen again. Um, and so, you know, his family's basically like, eh. oh, and he can also create things. Uh, three-headed gophers, you know, all kinds of funny shit. Um, and he thinks he's funny, and, you know, he's, he's basically a mini-god, but um, every every week he makes TV, and uh, the, the people in the town come over, and uh, one day it just so happens to be this old man's birthday, and they give him uh, a Perry Como record, and uh, he's like, ah, yeah, I want to play it, but the kid don't like that shit. He's like, no. Nah. Now he ain't playing that. And he's and the guy gets drunk and he's like, come on, guys, hit him with a lamp or something. Kill him. And he's like, you're a bad man. And he fucking uh, turns him into a jack-in-the-box. It's fantastic. It kills me because when I first watched it, I was like, how do y'all not jump on the chance to... To beat a kid to death with a or <laughs> um, no, but how do you not like just bum rush this kid and like friggin' because he'll send him all to the cornfield yeah. at once. He's got magical powers. Man. Thank God. <laughs> if my options are death or dealing with this horrid little little shit, I choose non-existence. Or, uh, I, I would take shanking this kid and whatever consequences came from that or not existing over... He's so insufferable. It is, like, the shittiest kid ever. And, and the kid does such a fantastic job. Bill Mommy, uh, he was in uh, Lost <laughs> in Space. And, um, That's a good point. It never occurred to me that I shouldn't actually hate him as a person. Because he is acting, because he is very good. Um, it's just he's very good at making me want to um, find and choke him. <laughs> um. But uh, he was he was great. He uh, he did a great job, and uh, he he's done so much work. Um, he was in a different episode of Twilight Zone that uh, we watched the other day too. But um, which one? Fucking ah, damn it. Uh, I thought he in was. of Pip. Oh, remember? And yep, Long yep, Distance yep. Call. He was in quite a few. Wait, which one was Long Distance Call? Uh, where he calls his grand, dead grandmother. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Phone. Oh, yeah. I see. I thought he looked familiar. He was like the, the guy. Oh, actually, I think it's the dad from 
in praise of Pip. Um, he's also in the pool episode. I don't remember. The pool episode? Yeah. The, the pool game episode. Oh, game of pool? Yeah. Um, I can't remember his Jack name. Jack Klugman? Yes. The guy from the, uh, Odd Couple? Yes. And he is in a ton of, also in a ton of episodes, and I, I love him. Yeah, I, I think he's fantastic in all the episodes he's in. Um, I was kind of surprised that none of his episodes made it onto my, onto my list, but, um, but I knew that kid looked familiar from... I knew I'd seen him before, so he was on. He was on other episodes. Okay, so I'm not going nuts. Yeah, no, 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 no. You're not crazy or anything like that. Um, that kid was crazy, though. Yeah, dude. Well, that's the thing. Uh, and then, you know, this uh, was one of the segments in the movie, the Twilight Zone movie. It's really good. He um, watch it. It's you know, it manages to be almost as uh, terrifying as the episode was. And this is one of those episodes that really terrified me as a kid, because like I was a dumb fucking kid. Nah, you know, I was a smart kid, but you would have been disappeared. I would have been, yeah. I was like, in like I was always on edge. I'm like, fuck, man, I can't think negative thoughts. Can't think negative thoughts. They're gonna send me to the cornfield. <laughs> uh, and you know, as an adult, I know that sounds insane, but um, I feel like I would have been sent to the cornfield also, but because I tried to like crowbar this dude. Right. Well, dude, and it's so fucking funny, because, uh, like, they, uh... Don't mind me talking about child murder. <laughs> Come for the child murder, stay for the top ten list. And, uh, they, um, you know, they got the guy playing the piano for the guy's birthday, and the kid's like, yeah, play the good music, and the other guy's like, no, don't play the good music, play this, and sing happy birthday to me, and... <laughs> the kid's just like, yo, man, you can go fuck yourself. And, uh, it's just, like, I don't know why. Don't After all these years, um, it stuck with me as a kid. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is my favorite Twilight Zone episode the first time I saw it. Huh. And, um, you know, subsequent rewatchings, I'm like, yeah, this really is a great episode. Like, I don't, I don't know how to describe it. You know, every every episode is pretty much a decent episode in its own right, but, um, you know, Time Magazine named this the third best Twilight Zone episode uh, after Time Enough at Last and The Monsters Are Due on Maple Street, two of yours. Oh, okay. But, um, it's just, the cast is great. Um, The acting's great. The acting is so good. Like, this kid would have been six or seven at the time. And, uh, okay, he was ten, or nine, but anyways, like, he's carrying the fucking episode on his back. Well, and it's just, once again, they did a fantastic job building tension. They, that's something that's really, there, there's, there's multiple ways to do horror, um, the bad way is jump scares. The good way is building some kind of tension to a breaking point. It up to a breaking point, and they. This is one of the episodes that they really just did that fantastically of just building up tension, and then 
having this one big explosive scene and then um, kind of the horror of it is it going back to normal. Right. And I can tell the parents are pretty sick of his shit, but there's nothing they can do. Yeah. Um, At the end of the episode, Anthony fucking starts making it snow for no reason. Yeah. And the dad's just like, yeah, it's snowing. Why are you doing it? I'm I'm glad it's it's snowing. It sure is nice. Right. You're going to kill the crops and we're going to starve. But no, it's good. It's good that you're doing it. Yeah. Real good. Um, and then, you know, that, and that's the end of it. It's That's the other thing, too, is it does have, like, a weird kind of cultiness to it in the way, in how they have these kind of almost pre-programmed responses to things he does. Like, oh, that's good. That's real good. That's real good. Anthony, that you did that, yeah, yeah, like it's, I, it's, it is just weird. It's like, it's like, what if God existed and also he was like seven ginger and a dick? Right. Um, that would be this episode, and that's literally what this episode is. It's like, yeah, it is, uh. But uh, what a what an incredible show! I mean, obviously, you know, we spent three and a half hours talking about it, and this is now the record for the longest episode of the regular show. Yeah, my God, I, it's my fault. I can't shut the fuck up. It's all good. Congratulations! <laughs> I'll tell you, I'm impressed because it's almost six a.m. right now, and uh, we started recording this thing at like two o'clock. So yeah, I'm impressed. Um, if you're if you're watching if if you have listened to at this point, um, just remember you could have been watching um, uh, the Lord of the Rings, which um, won an Oscar. So thank you for for listening to this instead. Um. Yes, um, thank you to all the Greg heads. You know I do appreciate your uh, your loyalty and your listening. Um, I, I would, love you guys. We miss you. I probably should have started this out with being like, don't feel you need to listen to this all in one go. Um, I, I, I because think if you're listening lost. to it, then, <laughs> yeah, take a break. Um, if you if you did it all in one go, then you really need one. Um, assuming you're not like dead asleep, which if you are, you're welcome. It's hard to get by sleep, but... Uh, yeah, no, I'm I'm glad that I could uh, talk about this fantastic show to just an, a nauseating extent um, <laughs> and give myself terrible sleep deprivation. Right. So, um, well, but it was... That's 30 episodes, <clears throat> ba- yeah, basically 30 episodes discussed um, in 3 hours and 30 minutes. So that's yeah. 210... Divided by thirty, yeah, it's about seven minutes per episode. That's really good. I, you know, yeah, for us, I mean, the listener is probably like for me. passing out, but yeah, <laughs> it's all good. You know, I I think that people are going to see the length of this, and they'll definitely, oh yeah, that's a two part. Yeah, and that's you know that's okay. We don't tell people how to consume it. We're just happy that they consume it. I uh, I didn't think of it until after I I, I should have. And like, oh, we should we should do this as multiple parts. 
I guess I guess it could get broken up in post. I don't know how that's how. I guess I'll I'll find out. I had one with Rob and Dylan calls. where we did cartoons, and you know we kept it in full, one in full, because you know people are gonna listen to it. And this is true. I was gonna say string them along for as long as you can. Yeah. Just just keep up that build the tension of what number one. Is. <laughs> right. <laughs> no. No. Well, uh, I don't. I wouldn't even know where to cut it, but um, people. Will yeah. But anyways, I'm, we're just rambling on at this point. Yeah. Uh, I'm ready to pass out, and I want you guys to get Same. home safe. So. I'm um, gonna drive into a tree. Jeremy, um, any fe- special last words for the grandkids? Uh, no. Thank you for listening. If you have, and uh, go get sleep, because no matter what time you started this, you probably need some now. Um, if you did it all in one go anyway. But, uh, yeah. I know, I'm going to sleep like a baby. Oh, yeah. But, uh, thank you guys. Uh, thank you for coming on, Jeremy. We'll have yeah. you on again soon. This was a lot of fun. I'll tell you, I was I was really excited for this one. Yeah. The Twilight Zone is one of those shows that, you know, despite being 60 years old, um... Stands up. It stands up and... Unfortunately, sometimes. Some of it has been unfortunately topical um, still, but... People love it. I also think that's that's nice that it has been able to... um, Keep going. Have such solid takes on things, even that long ago, like... How many times has it been? One, two, three, at least four different renditions of the twins. Yeah. Uh, so I'm just going to you know, leave it off there. Uh, folks, be safe. Uh, stay warm. It's fucking cold out. Well, it's not really that cold out this week. Yeah. If you're in Texas, stay warm. Uh, I think, I don't know, it's, it's probably back to normal now, but hopefully. Uh, um, Fingers crossed. Yeah, at this point, I'm just trying to milk the clock, trying to get to uh, three and a half hours, because I'm an asshole. Just even it out? Yeah, just even it out. What's it at now? Uh, we're, we're about 15 seconds from it, but the Greg heads are probably already tuning out, being like, shut the fuck up, Greg, just turn it off. That's okay. But you know how it goes. Fuck them. Uh, yeah. No, 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 no. <laughs> we love the Greg heads. We love you guys. We miss you. Uh, you gotta listen. You you gotta get there. You guys can do it. All right, and we're it's gonna be going out in three, two, one. So close. All right, Seacrest out, guys. <laughs>